Hello and welcome to the 250, your fortnightly podcast look at the IMDb's top 250 and sometimes bottom 100 movies of all time. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? I'm doing very well, yes. Yeah, how are you, um, Darren? It's it's good to be back in the Warren. Um, is that what we're calling that now? That That is the name. It's, playing around with... <laughs> we were toying with some... We're, we're I think playing. I prefer the Darren Warren to... the. the, the we spoke about this previously. We, we did. We're just going to... Every, every podcast of the year, we're, go, we're, we're going to draw attention to the it. same way. Yeah, I, I feel like that's the perfect way to do this. And it's really fantastic for our guests, particularly when we have like a really, really good one that I'm very <laughs> excited to talk to. We have a writer and filmmaker, Jonathan Victory. How are you, Jonathan? Hello. This is a bit surreal when you've listened to the podcast before and I'm just like, oh, I'm just enjoying their banter. And now this time you can see and hear me. So it's just a bit of a surreal adjustment there, but I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. No, it's, it... it's like we're breaking the fourth wall. <laughs> <laughs> Addressing the listener directly. Yeah. Um, but no, first of all, well, thank you very much. You you kind of reached out to us because um, I'm, I'm somebody who's been aware of your work uh, for quite a while. I've interacted with you on social media and stuff like that. Uh, particularly like last year, uh, and I'm going to confess, I'm going to put my hands up and say I haven't seen it, but I was aware you released a documentary. I believe it's a far green country, which was about your trip to New Zealand. Um, like connecting, I believe, with the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yeah, I made a documentary out of my travel videos for from New Zealand. And this was like a few months before the the lockdown started in 2020. So I got in there just in time to, I guess, um, visit like this bucket list I had of filming locations from Lord of the Rings I always wanted to visit. And uh, so I kind of brought my camera thinking... I'll do a few YouTube videos about each of the places. But then when I was looking back on the footage, I was seeing there was kind of a story there about how I was managing my health as an autistic person traveling alone in New Zealand. And uh, so it touches on a bunch of things and it ended up being uh, screened in the Irish Film Institute uh, the day Queen Elizabeth II died. So that was a... Weird fun. The second most important thing that happened that day, you know. I've been plugging that screening, and then I just come off Twitter, and I'm just like, "Oh, my screening went so well. Did I miss anything?" Um, it's so I'm hoping people remember that screening in the IFI as where they were because it's a great night yeah, for me, and they'll always remember. But the thing is, so the Irish Film Institute have now released it on their rental site, so. If you're based in Ireland, that would be ifihome.ie, but uh, I'm, I'm sure you have listeners overseas. Uh, around the world, you could go on to ifiinternational.ie. And if you rent the film, it would mean a lot to me. I could finally pay my composer money and it would just be, yeah, get, getting a sort of perspective from an autistic filmmaker, I guess, and uh, seeing lots of cool things from when Lord of the Rings was made, yeah. That's a far green country is the name of that documentary yes, yeah. as well. So if, if listeners want to Google it and search it there. And you reached out because this is a really convenient recording slot. This is almost like perfect, like karmic timing where you kind of reach out. You're like, so I am doing a show in February. Um, and I was thinking, would you like to have me on to talk about a movie that is somewhat related to that show that listeners can see in the subject line of the podcast that they're listening to? But would you like to, to introduce us to the show? I believe it's next weekend. So the 12th or the, the 11th and 12th of February. Yeah, that's Saturday 11th and Sunday 12th, 3pm in Smack Alley Theatre. It is a show called Elementaler. And it's a one man show I'm doing for the Seed and Herd Festival. And so I'm playing this martial arts teacher who's giving a seminar to the audience on five fighting styles based on 
five elements of nature. And as the talk goes on, he starts revealing a lot about himself and it ends up being um, a reflection on sort of a lot of mental health issues that are very uh, serious right now in society. So it's going to be a mix of like very fun, silly moments and kind of heavier stuff. But I am... yeah, I've I've been doing martial arts for years. I was a black belt in Taekwondo and then I saw the raid in the cinema and my jaw was on the floor at how fast uh, these Indonesian Silat fighters were moving. So I started studying Silat and I'm now a brown belt in Silat. I'm hoping to go for my black belt in the next year or two. So I'm going to be able to wow. do some martial arts on stage at the show and uh, it would mean a lot. Yeah, if people want to book tickets for that. That's on the 11th and 12th of February seenandher.ie that's the website you should go to and uh yeah go ahead and book that place that, that, that genuinely sounds incredible <laughs> yeah that, 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 that sounds amazing it does okay like again this is very inside baseball but you say you watched the raid were you at that famous saturday morning screening as part of the dublin film festival the infamous uh like crowd goes wild best screening in the history of irish cinema screening of the raid I wish, uh, okay. yeah, like, it, now my local cinema, it was a full night, and, uh, yeah, I was like, I, I didn't, <laughs> I was already a black belt in something, and I was like, how are they doing this? And, uh, <laughs> so The Raid and The Raid 2, I would highly recommend the, the, the Gareth Evans movies that I think are on Netflix, uh, or, um, other uh, legal means of watching them, because, you know, you should support awesome action movies like that. Um, I do quite like action movies and martial arts movies, and, um, yeah, I suppose if I had to pick a list from the 100 worst uh, films, <laughs> Dragon Ball Evolution is one that I had seen before once uh, in the cinema. It was kind of a, I'll sometimes buy a pity ticket if there's a movie that like, I find some aspect of it interesting, but I can see it's not doing well. So like Mortal Engines or The Lone Ranger or just at various <laughs> times, I'll go to like an almost empty screening of you know, a, a film that I would want to work in theory, but just doesn't. And uh, you and Nicole Kidman. Yeah, so that's the one time I've seen it before. <laughs> yeah, you're a, you're a, a Justin Chatwin aficionado. <laughs> well, the bottom 100s, Justin Chatwin. To be fair, he did also appear in Super Babies Two, Baby Geniuses. Um, but like, so we, I feel like yeah, that we 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 have discussed Chatwin. Like, yeah, a a a section to discussion of Chatwin. <laughs> yeah, and and Justin Chatwin's a Chatwin chat, but. So, yeah, so the, the way that this came about was kind of you, you suggesting on touch. And I, I, again, I did what I do with all of our guests, which is I send through the list of the greatest movies that we've ever covered um, and the greatest movies that we've yet to cover. And then obviously the bottom 100 as well. I'm like, here's a, the list of the bottom 100 if you want to take a look at those. Like, was it just that, like, Dragon Ball Evolution was just such a perfect fit for the show that you're doing? Or was it like, no, I, like, this is something that I need to kind of talk through? This is something that I feel the need to revisit and discuss. I would say a bit of both. I think it was, um, yeah, like a... So it is based on the uh, manga, anime, what have you. Uh, uh, Akira Toriyama's, yes. Yes, and that was something I had watched when I was young, at least the Dragon Ball Z um, series. Uh, so I think I did go to this uh, movie at, at the cinema partly because, you know, I was interested to see how it was adapted. And it was, if you know who knows where I'll be 10 years from now. Maybe I would be in a position to adapt it myself as a filmmaker. Um, I do actually mention in uh, A Far Green Country, I visit where Rohan was shot in New Zealand. And the the kind of landscape it had with like lots of rocks on it really reminded me of the planet Namek from the Dragon Ball Z anime. So I would 
try and <laughs> yeah get the New Zealand Film Commission tax breaks to go film it there. And um, I am conscious that like save this hypothetical scenario were to come about, there could be a producer listening to this right now, ten years in the future. And they're deciding whether or not to hire me. Um, so <laughs> I like that. It's not only is it the perfect location; they also have a very beneficial tax break system as well. This is, you know, this isn't just a pie in the sky idea. This is a practical and workable idea in terms of production. You say that you watched uh, Dragon Ball Z, which was obviously the anime. I believe it's the one that aired during the nineties. Um, obviously, this is Dragon Ball is a very, very storied franchise. It has a very, very long. It feels history. like it was still going into the nineties, though, right? Are, 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 are yeah. they yeah kind of um i mean did it did it start late 90s or or, or did it just come to our shores in in um at that point like were we watching very old episodes of dragon ball yeah uh, it, darren is surreptitiously going checking to, the fa- and rechecking the fact machine because fact I'm, fairly, machine. I'm fairly sure that i am like i i checked this earlier but to be sure Okay, so the the history of, like, the animated series spinning off of Dragon Ball, right? So Dragon Ball begins, uh, like many of these classic anime series, it begins as a manga. Uh, It begins as a manga published in Shonen Jump, which is a a publication we have discussed on this podcast several times, which is quite remarkable. It was also the home to, like, Demon Slayer, for example, which was an episode we discussed, like, two years ago. Was it the highest grossing movie at the box office in 2020? Some sort of, like, (laughs) statistic like that? Um, but basically... Beat out tro- Trolls World Tour? <laughs> it, it it did. It did beat out... I'd also think beat out Paw Patrol 2 as well. Not just Trolls World Tour. Um, but, like, obviously, Dragon Ball, written by Akira Toriyama, published uh, between December 1984 and June 1995. 42 uh, volumes of manga there, which is a lot of material. You're going to notice a lot of numbers, and they're going to be very big numbers until we get to talking about this movie. How many do you have? Because you, you, you have a room in your house dedicated <laughs> to... It's got a light on manga. It's mostly it kind of American comic. It is. Yeah. Like, you have like a manga again. library in your home? <laughs> I, I have a comic book library in my home. I do not have a manga. I need to... I need to. That's, you know, when I get my second home. You know, when, when the Patreon for this podcast really picks up. That's when I'm going to get a manga room. That's like one of the one of the stretch goals we have. We're, we're, we're waiting to get to the point of popularity where we can start Patreon for a week and then retire. And then retire. That's the plan. That's yeah. what we're building to. Um, but obviously, like, so it, it's 42 volumes published between 1984 and 1995. Then there's a string of, there's a string of anime series, right? So the one that breaks out over here is Dragon Ball Z. But like, first of all, there is the original Dragon Ball, which is the Japanese anime, which runs from like 1986 to 1989. Here's Dragon Ball Z, right? Dragon Ball Z runs in Japan on television from 1989 through to 1996. That morphs into Dragon Ball GT, which runs from 1996 to 1997. So there was no new... There was basically no new Dragon Ball produced between 1997 and when this movie came out in 2009. So it was well worth the wait. But yeah, it it, it is something... And then it all just kind of aired later, I guess, in, in, in the like UK Ireland, and UK, United States, I, I suppose suspect based on what limited material i could find a large part of that is due to pokemon pokemon is responsible for the second wave of anime and digimon yeah and kind of like so i imagine that's what happened they were looking for similar things and they found dragon ball and so it aired in like the cartoon network kind of slots that we associate with anime as your 90s kid guinea pig uh, that was around the time those were the kind of animes that were very big around the time uh, dragon ball z was becoming big and 
I suppose, like, I remember it and even, like, since, I would think it's fairly widely known. I'm wondering if at this point, if, if someone out there listening to this doesn't know, like, the, the premise of Dragon Ball Z, is that something we need to get into? Or is it kind of like Star Wars, everyone kind of gets, like, uh, what's going on in it? I totally didn't. So I I, I, I appreciated the, like, heavy exposition <laughs> you know, at, the, at, 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 at the beginning. I kind of, uh, although... I, I am willing to be corrected if the actual anime is significantly different from 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 the movie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just like so. I had no, I had no clue, and now all I know is the lies. Is lies. <laughs> yeah. See, I I guess that was also part of why I went to see it at all, or why I I chose to talk about it on this is that I'm somewhat familiar with the source material there's most likely listeners out there who do know more about it than me and then you know the dragon ball era and dragon ball gt and i guess on this rewatch something i was trying to consider was how baffled someone would be if this was their first exposure to any of this uh ip <laughs> i think i think i'm not baffled it's more like i live it's more like i've i i live in an authoritarian regime where like a version of the truth you know gets gets true to me and this is like the state sponsored kind of like version of dragon ball z it's like this is dragon ball z piccolo is watching you (laughs) yeah yeah, now now you have dragon ball z back to work Um, justin chatwin and we all love justin chatwin yeah yeah and i have no access to any other information (laughs) um well i mean again it is is worth noting the product again when we talk about bad movies and when we talk about bad movies that have not been like reclaimed there's a tendency it can be very difficult to find details of their production because most of the people involved do not wish to talk about in any way shape or form uh, there are exceptions here like james marsters which we'll talk about there's some statements from the writers from the producers van relin but generally speaking a lot of what you hear about this movie is kind of like whispered through people who know people who know people so you get justin chatwin to talk about jo- uh, josie and the pussycats and that's um, how you spring load onto this. Yeah, Just, yeah. What, I mean, what you do is like... Because that's a reclaimed kind of like cult yeah. um, uh, hit now, yeah. as we've learned. I th- I don't think Justin Chatwin's in Josie and the Pussycats, though. I think he is. I think that, 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 that was one of his breakthrough roles. It's a small role. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Um, But what I was... <laughs> sorry. I'm surprised and, you didn't know that, because you've seen both I have, movies I watched, very I watched recently. recently yes. yeah. Welcome um, to the uh, filmography of Justin Chatwin. <laughs> I know. <laughs> We're chatting Chatwin is what we're doing this week. Hey. Um, Shameless. We, everybody wins when you chat Chatwin. Um, but what I was going to say was, yeah, so basically the rumor about this is that Fox releases X-Men in 2000. It is a massive critical and commercial success. It shows that you can adapt things that look maybe a little bit silly in like animation and in comic books into live action. So Fox are like, give us some of that sweet, sweet franchise moolah. So they go and they buy Dragon Ball, the rights to Dragon Ball. Uh, And Stephen Chow, who is responsible for like Shaolin Soccer and Kung Fu Hustle, he's attached as a producer. Uh, The rumor and suggestion is that Fox basically bought him onto the project as a way to lure other people and to convince other people to sign on to the project. Uh, Because like, hey, Stephen Chow's involved. It can't be that. Bait and switch. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And (laughs) hope you like Hope you like Stephen Chow because this movie is going to be directed by That's James must, Wong. That must be what they did with 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 Flintstones as well. <laughs> They're just like, hey, Steven Steven Spielberg, Spielberg wants you to be in the Flintstones movie. 
You mean Steven Spielberg's making a Flintstones movie? Uh, yeah. And they already make that, not the second one. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so basically Fox buy the rights to this. Uh, they have a, they get a bunch of scripts. The scripts are by all accounts terrible. Around about 2002, the movie gets kicked into development hell, right? We jump forward to about, say, 2007. Hollywood is in turmoil. There are rumors of unrest. The Writers Guild are going to strike. Hollywood is shocked and appalled by this. If there are no writers, there can be no movies. Who will write the scripts? Who will punch up the scripts? Who will doctor the scripts? Fox, however, see an opportunity here. What if, Fox asked themselves, we had a script that was already written that we just hadn't produced? Because it wasn't very good. Now, yeah, that is what somebody in the room might say. But on the other hand, the Fox executive would go, but look, a script is better than no script, am I right? And the other executive would go, I like my job and my pension, so I'm not going to say anything to this. Um, but apparently the rumor is that Fox greenlight this movie, push it into production during the writer's strike, using a script that they rejected in 2002. They hire James Wong as a director. James Wong, who is known for writing on the X-Files. He was the writing partner of Glenn Morgan on the X-Files. He's also one of the co-creators of the uh, Final Destination franchise. And it's fresh off, I think, Final Destination 3 at this point. Uh, and basically, they, they, make, they make the movie. And to hear the accounts of, like, everybody involved in this movie, including, like, Chow Yun-Fat and James Marsters, this whole movie feels like it's a bait-and-switch, where Marsters is kind of lured by the promise of, you know, well, look, this is one of the, uh, uh, like, Marsters before, here's a quote from James Marsters before filming begins, and we'll read a quote from him after filming completes to get a, a compare and contrast. Before filming begins, Marsters is like, Dragon Ball is the coolest television cartoon in the last 50,000 years. Its only failing is that the female characters aren't drawn well, and we're going to fix that in the movie. It's got a Shakespearean sense of good and evil, and there are incredible action scenes with characters of unbelievable power. It's going to be really visually exciting. I'm told the budget is about $100 million. <laughs> that is James Marsters getting amped for going into the shooting of Dragon Ball Evolution. And a flawless impression of him as well. I, I know, just perfect, right? Coming out, this is him being interviewed. Darren does like three different voices. <laughs> you, you've got voice number three. Um, he's trying to undermine somebody. <laughs> it's, it's a different voice entirely. Okay, uh, well, are you ready for voice number two then, apparently? <laughs> so this is James Marsters interviewed in 2014 at WizardCon, asked about his experience making Dragon Ball Evolution. Dragon Ball Z was important for me as a father, so I was really into it when I got the role. And they told me it was a $120 million picture, and that Stephen Chow was producing. And Stephen Chow is the director of Kung Fu Hustle and Shaolin Soccer, which, if you guys haven't seen his films, go get them. They're just fabulous. They're funny, goofy, violent, scary. Everything you would need for Dragon Ball to work. So I get to Durango, Mexico, and all of a sudden it's a $30 million picture. And all of a sudden Stephen Chow is just on paper to fool us into arriving into the middle of the desert. They don't even want to pay for a stuntman to get made up to look like me, so they never bothered to use stuntmen. They just kept putting me up on wires. I still have a separated clavicle from the shoot because it was just gnarly. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, apparently, like, Marsters would go on and would voice the role of Piccolo in, like, various animated adaptations afterwards as a way of atoning for being involved in the film. There are rumors that Akira Toriyama, 
who like wrote Dragon Ball between 84 and 95, like launched the sequel series Dragon Ball Super, the sequel manga, which launched a sequel anime, um, because he wanted to, and I believe the quote is, wash the taste of that movie out of fans' mouths. Uh, which gives you a sense of how this movie was perhaps perceived. But like, Jonathan, as somebody who has like seen the anime, as somebody who would consider themselves a fan of Dragon Ball, how does this movie fit with that? Look, is it a good adaptation of Dragon Ball? Absolutely not. But is it that bad a movie on its own terms? Also, yes. Um, <laughs> hundred worst movies ever. I I think you could find a hundred movies that are worse than this. But I I certainly think with um, yeah, if you are considering it in terms of like an adaptation of the source material, the source material is really rich. And like across the the series or the or the character arcs that I watched, uh, there is like beautiful like m- mythic quality to it like it's it's sort of like uh probably Tolkien's not a great comparison because Tolkien went into a lot more detail with developing languages and so on but like the I think the way the very hero's journey kind of stuff the themes around overcoming yourself and l- like improving yourself and reaching higher levels of power and standing up to bullies and there's actually like great characters they had to work with in the source material and it feels like the studio didn't realize like the potential of what they had to work with and just how like strong the fan bash backlash could be if they weren't just sort of using the rich material they had so uh i i sort of i i tried not to read up too much beyond the wikipedia page because I, I i know darren does his due diligence and research but I was the reason I was doing that was to kind of then click on the pages of people involved in this and uh, <laughs> like because I wanted to sort of compare what were their careers like before being involved in this and afterwards. So for like for example, the cinematographer who makes some baffling decisions we can talk about later. Like the he ended up being hired by HBO to do episodes of Game of Thrones and and not even like the later seasons that were criticized for cinema, their cinematography I, like the season 3 kind of peak of the show like it's so this didn't affect seem to affect his career that badly um Ben Ramsey the screenwriter I was just kind of, he just didn't seem to have been involved in much before this I think he was like a production assistant on Silence of the Lambs so like imagine like your first job being the best thing <laughs> in your career uh yeah so and i just was kind of wondering so like what was the 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 fault is largely with him so what was going on there and i i think i found some quote where he said some i don't know if you have it in front of you darren uh do i might if it's the one that i think it is Um, it was something about him basically apologizing and saying that he was just looking for a payday and uh, didn't kind of realize how important the material was to the fans and like how they, they could have just, like, put more thought into the adaptation, but it just... There, there's so much about the production that smacks of a, a dodgy cash grab, which, you know, the delightful details we can get into, but, I mean, perhaps Darren has found the quote I'm talking about. I do indeed. So, yeah, this is Ben Ramsey, who, like, issued a formal apology for this, um, which is something that makes me deeply uncomfortable. We may talk about that in a moment, but uh, here is the actual text of his apology when, I believe, a Dragon Ball fan website reached out to interview him. So this is entirely unprompted. Uh, a fan website was like, we'd like to talk to you about the movie. And he replied with, and I quote, I knew that it would eventually come down to this one day. 
Dragon Ball Evolution marked a very painful creative point in my life. To have something with my name on it, as a writer, be so globally reviled, is gut-wrenching. To receive hate mail from all over the world is heartbreaking. I spent so many years trying to deflect the blame, but at the end of the day, it all comes down to the written word on page, and I take full responsibility for what was such a disappointment to so many fans. I did the best I could, but at the end of the day, I dropped the Dragon Ball. <laughs> really? That's, that's, that's the bit that gets the crow. <laughs> I went into the project chasing after a big payday. Not as a fan of the franchise, but as a businessman taking on an assignment. I have learned that when you go into a creative endeavor without passion, you come out with sub-optimal results. And sometimes, flat-out garbage. So I'm not blaming anyone for Dragon Ball, but myself. As a fanboy of other series, I know what it's like to have something you love and anticipate be so disappointing. And here in bold is this line highlighted double-spaced. To all the Dragon Ball fans out there, I sincerely apologize. I hope I can make it up to you by creating something really cool and entertaining that you will like and that is also something I am passionate about. That's the only work I do now. And it's like, that's, that's like I've been convicted of war crimes. That's like you've been summoned in front of a judge and your lawyer has told you, you need to make, like, you need to wear a nice suit and seem really sorry, sir. I, I think that's kind of like the story of the bottom 100, though. For, for Like, at least there is a large cohort of movies which belong to a, a, a kind of like a beloved intellectual property where the fans are disgusted by its treatment. And it's generally that they feel like it hasn't been taken seriously enough. And this is this is just kind of an example of it where 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 if you if you take a a um a beloved kind of piece of kind of children's media and then you you like say the Flintstones which we talked about two weeks ago <laughs> to pick a completely random example. But like stuff like um, are not children's media, but kind of 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 of, of youth media, or maybe more books. more generally, kind of like nerd culture, yeah. I guess. Batman um, and Robin, Catwoman, etc. Yeah, or 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 what you call it? Um, we had a few video game adaptations as well. Yes, there we was, did. There was the um, Mortal uh, Kombat Annihilation Uve and Bowl Street Fighters ones. dropped off. Yeah. Uve, yeah, Uwe Boll's filmography is on there pretty much in its entirety. Yeah. Blood Rain. And... Did either of you see the Tekken adaptation? No. I would like to the see video that. Video game Tekken. I'd imagine... 
because I <laughs> sorry I was because uh, I I, play, I played Tekken three and four growing up and the cutscenes in that were very cinematic very visually strong and I was thinking yeah Tekken film adaptation could be really cool so I started um, watching the live action Tekken movie and the first few minutes were like a chase scene under the opening credits while new metal was playing and I kind of just turned it off and did something else uh, I, was like, <laughs> I could already just tell you know from movies like this and like the so yeah, I, I, I would consider that another example of like you have a source material that's actually really rich and maybe just if you're not in, from the culture in which it's from or maybe you're just like, you just like, it just treat like quote unquote IP in very cold terms about like how much money they can make and so yeah, it's just, I think this was like very calculated kind of moves around making Dragon Ball Evolution but uh, I may at some points kind of give it benefit of the doubt at like moments of the movie where I could tell there was possibly some way this could have worked but it like it it is like quite a mess overall when we get into it I mean just to to talk a little bit about the fan stuff because this is this is released in 2009 now obviously this is like shot they begin shooting it in I think 2007 they shoot in 2008 the studio makes a number of announcements uh, in late 2008 which signal that the movie is not going to be very good. The first thing is they move it out of August 2008. August is a dump month and they move it into April 2009 which is somehow even more of a dump month. It's somehow like it got downgraded from this is trash but it might make money to this is trash we hope nobody goes see it. Um, very famously, the movie was horrendously cut down. It only runs something like 89 minutes, which is remarkably short. By it's the mercifully short, so if you, if you <laughs> it, at least it's over soon. And I, I wonder if, in fact, the editors kind of took that approach. Like, look, we can't save this. Let's just make it as quick as possible so at least people can get on with their lives quicker. <laughs> I, I suspect the studio may have been the ones who gave that kind of mandate coming down. That is what they say, is that, like, the... Wagner's ring cycle was is like several <laughs> days long, and and that like bad art the same is breath now as Dragon Ball Evolution. <laughs> yeah. But then be, like, they, they like kind of bad art is now shorter, so like you don't you don't have to kind of well like, go 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 through that. Um, yeah, apologies to any Wagner fans. Um, what 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 I will say though is like and again this arrives at a time where it seems like fans are growing more powerful online as well because obviously this is the the advent of like the fan industrial complex you have we talked about how like around 2000 you start seeing ain't it cool news becoming hugely influential and you start seeing like even before the film comes out you see like newspapers like the LA Times for example and the New York Times reporting on the fan outrage about this movie more than they're reporting on the movie itself so you have like Fans all over the world love Dragon Ball Z, but, well, it's a thin line between love and hate. Fans are frothing on YouTube and elsewhere about the casting, missing characters, the fight scenes, and even the hairstyles. This is serious stuff to devotees who've been following the manga franchise since it began in 1984 and have shown their allegiance by buying up the tie-in card game, the assorted video games, the apparel, and other merchandise. On IMDb, the movie database site, one fan seemed to think a holy crime had been committed. I could go on for hours about what they did wrong, the fan complained. May God have mercy on their souls. 
Um, and Sounds this, like a terrible website. It, it really does seem like it is the worst <laughs> yeah. website. Um, and this is the same year that Fox have difficulty with like X-Men Origins Wolverine. Mm. This is the same year as X-Men Origins Wolverine. And you have fan campaigns online. It's when where, you became... this is That is when I became the critic I was meant to be. The, when yeah. I, the Darren Mooney... Darren Begins. Yes, it's, it's X-Men Origins Darren film critic. When I saw X-Men Origins Wolverine, I was like, I need to write about this. I was like, I came out of the cinema, I was like, pen, pen! <laughs> was this the same year Ava- uh, Fox released Avatar? Yes. So right at the end of the year, they kind of slipped in just something to like compensate yeah. for, for all of missteps. That. Yeah. But I mean, like, yeah, so you had like fans campaign, like obviously X-Men Origins Wolverine leaked online as a work print. And like Avatar, sorry, not Avatar fans, we'll talk about Avatar maybe in a moment, but <laughs> Dragon Ball Evolution fans were so eager and so angry that they were like, let's pirate this to show Fox what for. You have things like, say, uh, Warner Brothers, like, you know, postponing and splitting the Harry Potter films uh, and that causing outrage among the fans because they were complaining about, like, changes that had been made to, like, the Prisoner of Azkaban. You had the adaptation of Watchmen. Zack Snyder's adaptation of Watchmen was that same year as well, which is, like, weirdly slavishly devotional to the text of the subject matter while perhaps somehow entirely missing the underlying spirit or point of it so it's kind of interesting that this arrives at that moment but there's also something else that's happening i want to ask you about this jonathan you're a fan of dragon ball z how are you on anime in general yeah i won't claim any expertise on anime in general i would know stuff here and there but uh i yeah i would say dragon ball and specifically dragon ball z is probably the one i'm most familiar with okay because this was around the time Hollywood was beginning to experiment with uh, anime adaptations. This is like, this is the year, this goes into production the same year as like The Dark Knight and Iron Man and then comic books are the thing. But for a little while, Hollywood's like, we need a new IP mine. Can it be television adaptations like Miami Vice or Get Smart or whatever? No, that's not going to work. They tried to do anime. So like in 2008, you have the release of the Wachowski Speed Racer, which is obviously an adaptation of a very popular anime in America. Uh, you have the year after this, and you mentioned Avatar. The year after this, you have M. Night Shyamalan's The Last Airbender, which is obviously an adaptation of... It's not explicitly an anime because it's animated. It's written by Americans and animated in North Korea, but it's considered an anime culturally in some senses. Yeah, so it was based on the series Avatar, The Last Airbender, which uh, it actually just occurred to me to say on record I haven't seen yet because I'm doing a show about uh, different elemental martial arts and I've been meaning to get around to watch watching Avatar Last Airbender, but I feel like I maybe shouldn't while I'm still writing it. Uh, Lest you so cross-pollinate. I can claim ignorance then if I, yeah, <laughs> guess something <laughs> that's similar to that show, but it's, uh, but yeah, but I think a few people have made that comparison. I kind of nod, like, yes, yeah. <laughs> that's that's it. That's actually what I was kind of going to build they to. They mentioned I... airbending in the movie, I think. Not, they... not, not to spoil anything yeah. too much, yeah. <laughs> But like the, but they but again the thing is and and the air, last airbender which is released by Paramount drops the word avatar from its title yeah. because it's worried that people will confuse it for a sequel to James Cameron's Avatar which I find hilarious. They but, should have hoped that people would confuse <laughs> it for a sequel. I suppose maybe they didn't want a, a um well they could hardly have a um lawsuit could they? No because they're they're no. adapting source material. Exactly. Uh, but and I understand I mean, and, the next few Avatar sequels, each of them is going to have one of the four elements in their title. <laughs> so that's yes. just annoying last Airbender fans more. Not, not just Airbender fans, the Airbender writers have talked about this. Like when when The Way of Water came out, they're like, Come well, on. okay, 
<laughs> yeah, they were like, well, that that's one of them at least. Look, if if the next season is like Firewalker, then I'm going to be angry. If the next Avatar movie is like Fire... And then Cameron announces it's The Way of Fire is the next Avatar movie. And it just feels like he's trolling at this point, which I find kind of amazing. But well, yeah, I kind of... Because I was thinking that. It's like... Because you mentioned your show is about elementals. I was like, yeah, it's, it's the last airbender. Would that have almost been a be- an even more perfect fit for this? But like, do you have a take on the, that wave of anime cinematic adaptations that begin with like the Wachowski Speed Racer in 2008, which is supposed to be this revolutionary thing? It bombs at the box office. It gets bad reviews. It feels like that causes a panic which causes Fox to be like, move this out of 2008 and cut as much of it as possible. And then obviously like the last airbender, like you know the deal with Enmai Chamon's last airbender, right? Where he's like, this is, you mentioned Lord of the Rings earlier. He was like, the last airbender is going to be this generation's Lord of the Rings. Aww. We're going to do, we're going to do three, three hour movies that are going to expand the entire saga, the entire series. We're going to cover it from beginning to end. And ultimately what's released is a single 100 minute movie that has been cut to ribbons by a studio that didn't understand it. But do you have a take on those three movies, Speed Racer, Dragon Ball, The Last Airbender, or even Hollywood's other attempts at anime adaptations like Ghost in the Shell? Ghost in the Shell is the one that's coming for mind, to mind for me because uh, I think the, the 1995 anime feature of Ghost in the Shell, that is like 100 greatest films uh, film for me like and uh, not just animated film like i think there is so much rich material there and then that adaptation of scarlett johansson they went they went with this director who just um just made Rupert very Saunders, wasn't it yeah very boring creative decisions and no sense of like what was compelling about the original and like you know and i, I think uh, a live action Akira has been in production hell for some time and uh, Taika Waititi Jordan Peele it's had all sorts of people attached to it and never come to fruition yeah and but I mean I feel like it's a I'm not a... why do that though why not why, like like the the with Pokemon they had a very popular Nintendo game very popular like kind of trading cards very popular um animated okay. series on television and a very um, popular anime movies as well like yeah and now, and now they have augmented reality but yeah they, they, that's what i was going to say they released an animated movie it did very well a lot of people went to see it but they they've never made the mistake as far as i'm aware of making a live action movie because you're 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 kind of the detective pikachu yes <laughs> very specific Detect- approach to yeah. the source material yes. though yes and so like they, at least they tried to change to it out. up a bit yeah. like they yeah. wasn't the sort of like uh they didn't they i mean possibly they maybe had dragon ball evolution as a touch point as like if we're just doing a straight adaptation of this is the story of ash Ketchum, this is what a pokemon is if it's like they maybe thought no let's try something different and make pikachu a detective <laughs> that's probably that's probably a good way to go because where where you try to establish all of the kind of um rules rules i mean uh, there are no rules that's just the first generally rule. uh, like like i i think of the um the super mario uh yes movie. brothers movie where they create all of this uh kind of lore to that explain is, a guy to, who goes down pipes and jumps on <laughs> the, like tortoises yeah. Where where it's um it's it's really kind of bonkers and wrongheaded, 
But yeah, if 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 they had maybe just kind of like made a Yoshi movie, it it, it well they they're, they're taking worked. another shot at this. Like a couple of weeks after this comes out, Mario will hit the cinemas. This that is right, but that's going to be animated, right? Yes, and yeah, with Chris yeah. Pratt, which is probably a, a a better way to go because yeah. you 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 get to kind of inhabit the world that the kind of fans are familiar with, yeah. and they're looking at something and are like, "This is the thing that I like." It, not it's, like it's what not the hell is this? Yeah, it's not yeah. an attempt to explain in live action. Like, I mean, to circle back to your question, like with these live action adaptations, I mean, Speed Racer is another example of how they were trying to capture the vibe of a cartoon. And to be fair, I think that is a difficult thing for these kind of movies to do. You have to gauge like what level you're going to do that. I mean, I, I guess like I, I'm not, I'm not against Hollywood adapting these anime. In, in animes into like English language feature films because I think they could make really awesome films. I think like Dragon Ball Z, you could you, you could imagine an adaptation. You could try to think of directors who might they do the Christopher Nolan kind of straight faced version of it. Like so, I'd say like somewhat like say if the Wachowski sisters were attached, like that would make sense as they have made that kind of thing before. Or Taika Waititi maybe with his sense of humor and the vibe of his movies, they might take that direction. With James Wong, I was trying to read about his background and um, why they thought he was a good choice. So as you mentioned, he'd had he'd been involved in a like successful TV franchise, the X Files, successful film franchise, Final Destination. So they maybe thought, okay, he seems to have been involved in things that like he seems to know how to get like people into an ongoing story. Um, but I realized and he worked on the one. He worked on the Jet Li movie, the one as well. And he's a Hong Kong, isn't he? He's from Hong Kong as well, or which he's born in Hong Kong. Yeah, so I actually found uh, a VHS copy of Jet Li's The One I had when I was 11. So I fired up the VHS player <laughs> uh, and watched that as well in preparation to this. So to just give a very, very brief review of that movie, it was the 2001 sci-fi film with so much new metal in the soundtrack, like a, common am- <laughs> a comic amount, that I was just kind of like, yeah, 11-year-old me would have liked this, yeah. Um, but... Kind of watching it again, it's quite a dumb sci-fi about multiverses and how there's a a Jet Li from another multiverse, parallel universe, is trying to kill all the other Jet Li's so there can be only one. And so the the protagonist Jet Li that we come to know and love has to... (laughs) Uh, fight fight his doppelganger by the end of the film uh, to the music of Papa Roach and, and other such bands and um, Jason Statham is in it but one of the rare times he's not using his own voice and he, he's trying to do a Brooklyn accent and he sounds like <laughs> this and it's just so it's a bit jarring for that kind for his performance and that as well but from watching that movie it is a stronger action movie than this one a stronger martial arts movie than this one stronger sci-fi movie than this one still bad but i don't think it's like bad enough to come close to this kind of 100 worst list but nor is it kind of good enough to really recommend anyone watch it but it's it's a kind of light uh, sort of Jet Li martial arts movie that um, I suppose when I was watching it again I I was kind of thinking I can see why they thought it was a good idea for him to do Dragon Ball though because I suppose he'd been involved in these other successful things he had done a martial arts movie that has silly sci-fi stuff in it so I don't think like and he was affordable one suspects uh, this is the other thing about the production was just yeah there's, there's a sense that well, I, I, what I'm saying is they're making all these decisions to get it made cheaply and then they're kind of trying to retroactively justify the creative choices that may have been down to more budgetary things and 
I'm I'm sure you have like uh, some examples of just the the really wild uh, production circumstances around this movie, but there was just one sentence I wanted to quote from the Wikipedia page that really stood out to me. Um, that said, um, a large amount of Dragon Ball evolution was filmed in an abandoned jeans factory, also yeah, located but... in Durango, Mexico. Mexico. That is that is a chef's kiss of uh, production trivia. I had to look up where Durango is on a map, and when I saw how far inland in the desert it was, I laughed just how because like. I when I was in film school we shot a student film in like the John Players factory in Dublin which was abandoned like when you're on a student film where no one's getting paid an abandoned <laughs> factory is yeah th- you can see perfect- yeah that okay. makes sense as a location when you're trying to when you're a big studio trying to launch a franchise and having the audacity the nerve the neck the cheek to be expecting sequels from this like you have yeah. to start on a strong foot to get people hooked on that, but they're doing all these decisions about like, okay, no, we're gonna shoot it in Mexico and uh, like somewhere cheaper. It's gonna be like like a lesser known town in Mexico, and we're it like um, Do they have an abandoned blue jean factory. <laughs> yeah, I mean, did anything else stand out to you? Just in terms of, I've read some of the other James Marsters quotes as well, and just uh, yeah, it just it just sounds mad, like the way this movie was made. Yeah, like, I mean, again, one of the things that, that kind of stands out is, like, Wong, like, really boasting about how they were really pushing the technical limits of this because they shot on, I believe, a phantom digital camera, which is very small, and therefore could allow it to be placed in interesting locations, which perhaps explains, as you said, some of the choices that the cinematographer makes. Um, Like, uh, uh, coming up to the movie's release, Wong was boasting about how he had tied the camera to the fists of the actors in order to get the perfect martial arts shots. This was the kind of thing that he was aiming for. We mentioned, like, the fractured clavicle as well. And we mentioned, like, Andrew kind of alluded to the challenges to making an anime live action. Yeah, like, if if, if somebody, like, if I was the studio head and I had, like, hundreds of millions of dollars and someone was like, Astro Boy, we've bought Astro Boy. It's like, let's make a feature-length animated movie. <laughs> and put Nicolas Cage in there as the inventor, yeah? <laughs> I suppose. Like, well, you, you, yeah, you, you'd, you'd have people kind of doing the voices. But essentially, let, let, let's, let, let's do kind of like some, some, something, like, like let's reinvent it in the sense of doing a, an origin story that's maybe like a little bit more kind of, you know, epic and feature-length than, yeah. than well, the show. That's it. I think, like, Again, before we were, I love that we're talking around Dragon Ball Evolution. I haven't actually started talking about the movie <laughs> itself. But, like, two conceptual problems, I think, with adapting an anime like Dragon Ball Evolution to film. The first of which is, like, going from animation to live action, where things that look good in animation don't always translate in a way that is convincing in live action. So you have two choices. You can either not do them and upset fans... Or you can do them and they will look terrible and also upset fans. Like one of my favorite, I think like something like Scott Pilgrim kind of does um, this stuff well. But I mean, even even then, yeah. like it's using the effects. It's like the the kind of like blast effects and stuff like that. It's not so much like the physical props. Like it's not so much like the hairstyle. Like Gugu's hair, Gogo's hairstyle, for example, was a source of much frustration to fans here because it wasn't big enough. 
but even as it looks like, it, it doesn't look good. Um, yeah, but still of... less bad than if it was proportionate to the cartoon. I mean, <laughs> like, I suppose the, the sorry, the animation, uh, the, a contrast with the animation I was going to bring up was uh, the power blasts that come from their hands, that they're quite translucent and airbendery in this film, whereas in the original anime, they're kind of strong beams of color that make for some, like like, genuinely beautiful imagery. And I don't think it was impossible to achieve a, a something that looks similarly cool in live action. I think there's there was just like a huge crunch on the VFX budget for this film, like on a number of levels, and I think this was one of them. Well, I mean, my one of my favorite like this movie should not exist quotes. One of the one of my favorite moments where like a producer is talking to the press and I'm like, this story that you're telling isn't as funny as you think it is. It's actually the moment where you should have said, maybe this movie is not a good idea. Where, like, uh, you have, like, the producer Van Raelen talking to the press and saying one of the biggest problems that they had at the start of shooting was that they couldn't make the Dragon Balls themselves look convincing on screen. Like, and they're just spherical balls that are orange with stars in them. The first design was, like, the concept drawing, but it didn't work on film because you couldn't get a key light on it. It's acrylic with a ground-out center. We then went with a very simple one that had a light system inside it. They glow when you put your hand on it. It is plastic with a light inside that dims out. We also had ones with an external light source. The line around the center is a problem for visual effects. They want a ball with a smooth surface. Then we went with a solid glass ball, like a snow globe. It had water inside and we had to make them so there was no bubble. But after about a day, the bubble comes back. So we can't use it over and over again. We can just use it for close-ups. For visual effects, it gives them a sense of movement. And lastly, we ended up with the stunt ball which is just a resin ball with paint on for effect it's glass paint we've used all of these different balls and we had to change them depending on what an actor was doing in a scene and i'm sitting there going if you cannot make the dragon ball in dragon ball look convincing <laughs> in a live action film maybe that's a moment where you sit down take a breather and go is this the right format for what we're doing and i think the other big question I have, and again, this is something Andrew mentioned, and I think to Jonathan as well, is the the size of this thing. Like, the source material is 42 volumes of manga. It is 153 episodes of anime for the original, 291 episodes of anime for the sequel series. Trying to condense any of that down to a cinematic narrative, particularly one that runs 89 minutes. Like... Is that even possible? Is that achievable? Could you cram the essence of that, even the essence, even the high-level summary of that, into a two-hour film that would satisfy fans? Jonathan, as somebody who's seen the show or loves the show, is that, like, is that a fool's errand? No, I think you could do it. I would probably start with Dragon Ball Z and... I suppose an hour into this podcast, would this be a good point to just explain what the premise is in case there's yes, someone yes, who has chosen yes, to yes. listen to this and... <laughs> Like, bless you if you are one of these people who's like, oh yeah, yeah I, I saw Dragon Ball. I want to hear how shit this movie is. Um, this is, um, I guess it's like about uh, someone on Earth who then realizes they're part of a human-looking alien race called Saiyans uh, who have their own kind of superpowers and society and uh, there are Saiyans who come to Earth to find him and when he has to fight them off, that sets off this whole series of events where he's then traveling to other planets and fighting other villains and kind of evolving through more and more like levels of power and uh that's 
that that's like the briefest summary I can think of of the concept. And I think there was just a very strong kind of opening, like of the story from Dragon Ball Z. I, 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 I can understand why a studio may want to start earlier and not do Dragon Ball as a prequel, but just start with Dragon Ball. But uh, I'm pretty sure at no point in this movie does it establish that Goku is a Saiyan. They don't get into his origins at all. I don't think. And... Well, they do. They do kind of allude to it towards the end, without getting into spoilers. They do like it mm. comes out of nowhere. There is no setup, no foreshadowing. Yeah, I was going to say there's that... an image that maybe we'll we'll save this yeah. for when we get into spoiler zone. But yeah, there's definitely a point. There's something that happens in the climax of the film where I I was watching it thinking, oh yeah, I get this because this was a thing in the anime. But I'm trying to think of somebody again just going into this blind. So, why is this happening one. now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, I cannot wait to hear what your re- reaction was. Okay, <laughs> okay this uh, is the cue then so we're gonna ask the three questions and jump into the spoiler zone so jonathan to get us started do you think dragon ball evolution is one of the worst 100 movies ever made no i i think you could easily find 100 movies that are worse than this it is still a bad film uh certainly but it's yeah no i wouldn't be one of the 100 worst and and andrew what about yourself no no it's just um i think it's just fan outrage i mean this is kind of like a silly it's like an old-fashioned kids movie where the kids are going to enjoy it and the adults aren't like, where they're just going to be like baffled by it but with a good um, kids movie everyone enjoys it yeah yeah but this is very much like those 80s kids movies that people now think are good i'm not going to name them because if i do that people will get angry but whatever one you think it is listener that is the one that i am thinking about um, yeah yeah we're not going to say like are not, we're not going to make reference to any 80s or 90s movies. We're not going to say Space Jam okay. is a bad movie. <laughs> but yeah, no. The, the, the... I also had that as a VHS growing up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I loved it. Um, like the, the, yeah, but where, where, where movies didn't, um, could be just good as a, like, uh, uh, as a kid's movie. I imagine there were a lot of kids who went to this and being stupid in enjoyed it and it's it's it kind of has its own sort of excitement it is it is, it is a bit of an odd movie it's certainly not <laughs> its odd own movie. sort of <laughs> excitement <laughs> i want that on the poster as a quote <laughs> i mean to be fair that is one of the pull quotes they would have killed for that back in 2009 uh-huh. its own sort of excitement <laughs> prepare to enter a new world of excitement Mm. Yeah, it 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 did remind me a lot of the Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Um, yeah, yeah. In terms of kind of like the look, but also <laughs> the sense of of a very kind of scant sort of character development, where you and lots you, of world you introduce a lot of people. Yes, and um, immediately kind of um, present their dynamics without really building them. I guess. Yes. Yeah. There there are maybe too many characters in this movie, but we will get to that in a moment. Um like I, I, I agree with both of you, and I agree I think particularly with Andrew. I think the reason why this is on the bottom one hundred is because of fan outrage, where if you look at like the critics' reviews at the time, none of them are raves. I wanna be very clear about that. Oh, none yeah. of none of the critics' reviews are raves. But if you look at the critics' reviews, they're they're much more tempered. They're like, this is just a dumb low budget action movie um that's all it is so you have like nathan lee at the new york times saying dragon ball evolution may or may not appeal to fans of the japanese fantasy franchise that it's based on (laughs) 
but aficionados of apocalyptic teeny bopper kung fu extravaganzas are in for a real treat. We don't know if Dragon Ball Z fans like this movie. Frankly, we We don't don't want to know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like Russell Edwards in Variety. A popular Japanese manga series gets a pleasing, if paint-by-numbers, live-action makeover in Dragon Ball Evolution, which half-heartedly tries to keep the faith for its pubescent male fan base. The original (laughs) Dragon Ball graphic novel series appeared in Japan and went on to become a worldwide phenomenon with more than 150 million volumes sold. This passable Fox release aims to tap into that ready-made market. And it's like, these are reviews that are just like... I'm going to forget this movie exists. They're not like this is the worst thing that ever existed. But then on the other hand, you have like Otaku USA Magazine's digital editor Joseph Luster saying people have been burnt so much in the past. It's kind of like video game movies. There's a history of these things not being handled properly. Um, There is very much like an online fan outrage, I think, that kind of explains why this is where it is. I do find it interesting that this is on the list and uh, M. Night Shyamalan's Last Airbender isn't. Uh, but that is a separate conversation we don't have time for. Because I, I feel like Shyamalan himself is kind of a fit target for that. I feel like, it, you know, with, Shy- with Shyamalan, you get, like, the benefit of piling on a director the movie the internet doesn't like. But anyway, Jonathan, is Dragon Ball Evolution one of the worst 100 movies you have ever seen? Whether as a fan or as a filmmaker? Um... I would hope so, uh, in, in the sense that, like, <laughs> I would need to, like, l- find the list of every film I've definitely seen, and maybe this might be 93 on the list of films I've personally seen. I, 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 I'm taking your question very literally and saying, like, I don't know, but probably not, given how I don't think the the 100 worst, uh, it, it belongs on a, like, a list of the 100 worst ever. Yeah. But just personally, in terms of films, you've like you mentioned seeing it in the cinema. Do you have a vivid memory of that experience, like coming out? Were you angry coming out, or were you just disappointed, or did you forget about it immediately? I'm a tough, hard-nosed alpha male uh, with um, <laughs> just a lot of, I mean, two particularly traumatic things I've lived through, and I just, I, I think, you know, especially now living through a pandemic, a climate crisis, a democracy crisis, and so on. Yeah, I don't, I'm not, I don't care that much that an ad- adaptation was bad. Uh, probably back then, like as a ragey teenager, I, I would say it was more disappointment. I, I don't know if you remember a South Park episode where Cartman sees something so funny, he quote unquote blows a funny fuse, and like the rest of the plot is how he can't laugh anymore. He just decides that's actually so funny. I just don't think. I can laugh again. I think I felt Dragon Ball Evolution was that for me and disappointment. That was kind of like <laughs> I'm I'm so disappointed by this. I'm not even angry. I'm just um it was short, so that's good. And uh yeah, I guess uh okay, so this gives me like 20 or 30 years before Hollywood's going to touch it again. So actually, if I play my cards right <laughs> and if I get my first feature documentary released by the Irish Film Institute and then I get the... So I won't go into the rest of my plan, but I think, um, yeah, someday I'll I'll show them how it's done. But uh, no, I don't... But, but it's not like I was kind of so wounded coming out of it, yeah. going like, oh, I'll show them how it's done. Like, I, it was more just like... Again, there might be points where I'll... I, 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 it feels like I'm going to be the only one defending it a little bit, and it won't really be... It's not a defensible movie. It's more just, I guess, parts where I'm thinking of it as someone who wants to adapt it myself and thinking, I get what they were trying to do at this part, but it, it's it's not working. And yeah, so it was just more kind of like a mild disappointment I experienced the the one other time I've, I've seen this. Andrew, what about yourself? Is this one of the worst 100 movies you've ever seen? 
No, no. It uh, like we've touched on it a few times. It is mercifully short. <laughs> um, it has kind of um, kung fu of 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 a sort. Yeah, I, I, like, it has kung fu of a sort. <laughs> that is all, that's on the back the of the DVD. That's yeah, that's the yeah. back. <laughs> its own kind of excitement yeah, on the front. Yeah, I feel like like qualified even like descriptions. Yeah, no, no, I, 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 I don't think it's one of the worst one. I mean, it's really an an indictment on me. It's because it's, we, I guess we we're we're watching like I, I, I um, you, you two are a skewed sample, I guess, because yeah, you started yeah, this podcast to actually watch them. I, I think yeah, I mean, probably it is one of the worst one hundred movies that I've ever seen. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> probably, 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 but 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 like. Um, we uh, it it's like i'm 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 imagining that there are <laughs> yeah that there are worse movies to come i don't know <laughs> well i mean to be fair our sample is skewed because when we first did this the bottom 100 was just soul crushingly boring at yeah. least the bottom 100 now is interesting so instead of watching like crossover which is like a really poorly shot like base basketball relationship drama we are now watching something like this which is at least interesting in inverted commas um so i think it has that going for it uh, I would also agree, and like I don't have Andrew's excuse. Andrew only watches bad movies for this podcast. Um, what happens to me? <laughs> you watch is, bad movies all the time. I watch bad movies all the time. When I when we I saw we were covering this when Jonathan suggested this, I was like, "Will I watch all of Dragon Ball?" And then I was like, "That's five hundred episodes of television. I'm not doing that." But I was like, "Okay, what if I jump into the other anime adaptations? What if I rewatch Ghost in the Shell? What if I watch you know The Last Airbender for the first time?" And that tends to skew my sample size. Because when you watch those movies, all of a sudden Dragon Ball Evolution doesn't appear quite as much an anomaly as it might if you watch it in isolation. It appears as part of a larger cultural trend. So I'm kind of like, this is bad. It's maybe the worst of that set, but I don't know it's like irredeemably worse than it's those. Like if you hear one new metal song and you're like, this is the first, this is the first and last time they did this. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> um, this wasn't an entire genre. <laughs> Um. <laughs> um. But yeah. So. So. No. For me. And then finally, before we jump to the spore zone, like Dragon Ball Evolution, because it was made by Fox, it is now available. I do. I do like, by the way, these kind of uh, relics where where like um, a lot of characters will have like frosted tips and stuff, <laughs> <laughs> like very kind of like early naughties energy yeah, weirdly like it feels like the early noughties are like a more distinct time period than the 90s yeah like, it and feels they, like if they, you took somebody from the 90s to today they, they kind blend of in. they kind of created um the fast and the furious franchise and like i feel like guy fieri um <laughs> that was his of, moment culture yeah 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 and 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 that like he, he he it's like part of his identity where he kind of stays in that kind of early noughties thing and somehow as well, like the, the Fast and the Furious still feels like it, it belongs, belongs to that, that even, even like as it goes on. I mean, like, again, Jonathan, you said you read a bunch of James Marsters interviews for this. Did you hear the quote about opening night? Did you hear him talk about opening night of this movie? Because Andrew just reminded me. Yeah, okay. Get into it. Um, so he, James Marsters is like, okay, we finished shooting the movie. We know the movie's terrible. We know it's awful. It's irredeemable. But, <laughs> but if it makes a lot of money... We'll get to do a second one. 
and maybe Fox will give us more money to do a second one and will trust us and will do something close to the source material. So we're really hoping that this movie performs really well. interesting take is like, I think the sequel to Dragon Ball <laughs> Evolution, Evolution. That's when it better. really gained. And by the way, Dragon Ball Evolution should be the name of the sequel. <laughs> yeah, this I was going to ask about this because like Hollywood finds these words like <laughs> retribution, revelations, revolutions, revengeance. Like they, they'll come up with like, like, but even just like colon one yeah. random word. And I don't know what this trend is in Hollywood movies, but it's, it's, it's especially baffling for me with uh, calling your first movie yes. in your franchise evolution. Like, is there anything either of you could glean from it? Like why they chose the name evolution? No, I, I the closest thing is like the the thing we've alluded to that happens near yes. the end of the movie, but even then, it's not made explicit like the nature of Goku's yeah. character and who he is. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so already we're not even past the title, and there are already issues Questions. with how this was conceived. Uh, but like Marsters is like, okay, so this movie has to make money because we have to make a sequel. So I'm gonna go on opening night, and he goes on opening night. He goes to the cinema. He's like, okay, I I just want the cinema to be like half full. Half full cinema opening night. We can we can leg it out. We can make money on this. He goes in. He opens the door. He's feeling very nervous. He, he goes in. The room is it's crowd. The crowd is it's full. The cinema is packed. He has to like search for a seat to find somewhere to sit down. He's like, this is incredible. This is going to be amazing. They're going to be reporting on this in like the LA Times, Variety, The Hollywood Reporter. We might actually make it through this. He sits down, and as he sits down, he goes. Uh, he turns to the kid next to him, the teenager next to him. He's like, so. You guys, uh, you guys excited about uh, Dragon Ball Evolution? And the kid next to him goes, uh, no, this is a Fast and Furious screening. Uh, at which point Marsters goes, feck. Checks his ticket, legs it across the hall. He's like, okay, cinema's not going to be full, but let's, let, let's, say, let's say half full. Half full. Walks through the door. It's apparently him, his son, and I think maybe 10 other people. It's like, oh, my son, that's where I left you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah sorry when Andrew mentioned the Fast and Furious as being like typifying I this imagine mo- James J- James Marster is just like kind of like excited and running ahead of his son yeah. <laughs> because of the airtight approach to of, of his business model of making like a really bad movie but if you give the sequels a chance it, over time it will get better and better and it'll be the good adaptation it could have been conceived as from the beginning, but That's it wasn't. Generally, not how sequels work either. Yeah, <laughs> they, don't tend, they don't generally tend yeah. to get better. They're from... like, we, we we only spent thirty million on that, and look how much money we made. Next one, we'll spend a little less, maybe make a little less, maybe it'll be a little less good. <laughs> <laughs> we'll yeah, just keep I, doing that well i mean like that's the deal with again not to have this conversation about the the last airbender but the last airbender made a shed load of money and like paramount were like whoo we got really lucky with that one let's not commission a sequel like it's like everybody knows how bad that movie was <laughs> we made a shed load of money let's just pretend it never happened and everybody will get on with their lives yeah, at least if you break even, you can have some dignity just kind of leaving it for a while then. Uh, but it's, yeah, so like that's a movie that made just enough money where it's yeah. like, okay, it's not notorious, but this was like yeah. a proper bomb. Yeah. And then, so final question, this is because it's owned by Fox, uh, because it was bought by uh, Disney, it is now on Disney+. Plus. Would you recommend that listeners, inexplicably an hour and ten minutes into this podcast episode, pause the podcast and stream it to a local device, Jonathan? 
I just don't see it. Like I, I watched it in the first place out of curiosity about how it was adapted. I don't see what, yeah, someone, you know, will would get out of that. Uh, otherwise, like I would say, if if you are mortal with limited time to live, uh, don't watch it. Um, <laughs> Even eighty nine minutes is too much. And Andrew, what about yourself? No, I wouldn't. It's a it's a movie that kind of lacks conviction. Yeah, and um. Like, I'd much rather um, recommend a bad movie, which is very kind of, um, you know, strong in its convictions and and, and has kind of like... Leans uh, in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like Birdemic, for example. Exactly, like Birdemic. um, Or Or The Room. Or The Room, yeah. The works of Neil Breen. Uwe Boll. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. We are inexplicably fond of Uve Boll on this podcast. It is stunning. We don't want him to fight us. No, we don't want him to beat us up. He does seem like he caused brain damage. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, for myself, also no. I feel like this is better than Flintstones and Viva Rock Vegas, but I feel like we have a tempered expectation coming out of that movie and talking about this one. So I would still not recommend it. You know, there is another Disney Plus title that's occurred to me now Ooh. that would make me think um, in comparison to this. I think Dragon... Aragon, is it? No, Dragon Ball... What I was going to say was Dragon Ball Evolution, for all I've said about it so far, and will say, I consider it like a better adaptation of its source material and a better film than Rise of Skywalker was. Yeah, I don't think yes. you'll get argument from No, not from, from this from podcast. Darren. Yeah. Well, I don't really I don't really mind Rise of Skywalker, <laughs> but I'm not a fan of Star Wars. I just saw Rise of Skywalker and it's like that's a Star Wars movie. And other people are like, but but they have all of this kind of like pointless quests they go on in order to open things. It's like, yeah, that's just a Star Wars movie. That's all It's a topic for it's a topic for another time. <laughs> it is. I it was is. just going to say I, that I was yeah. done with Star Wars after that. I've not touched any Star Wars stuff since. And you like, were, I was you actually... were like the second person this January to tell us that, which is remarkable. Sorry. I, I like. I remember being in the cinema opening weekend. I was sitting next to a friend of the podcast, Richard Drum, and I remember turning to him in the first two minutes. Like, say, why is it like this? <laughs> it's so different from the tone established before, and just I already knew it was like in trouble. So yeah, no, like I have a lot more hate and sympathy for like raging about a movie if it's specifically episode nine of the Star Wars saga. But uh, um, yeah, so I guess as a comparison point, like if those are your only two options on Disney Plus, then um, maybe give Dragon Ball Evolution a chance. That's the bold I, choice that Disney Plus has made. They've removed all content except for, for one night only. You can only watch two things: <laughs> yeah, Dragon Ball I, Evolution or Rise of Skywalker. I mentioned Aragon because after watching Dragon. Ball it evolution suggest? it suggested yeah. it which ah. i which i know as like a movie that people who love the books like um which is kind of like a, a, a i think like a teen or young adult kind of it's a ya fantasy yeah. about dragons exactly so, yeah i can see why and, the recommendation would be made and had watched the movie and hated it yes so it's like they, were you disappointed with that yeah. <laughs> like, um, did you like it, this disappointing adaptation of a beloved source material yeah, for young it's, millennials it's like they're trying well, to make uh, a, a specific person like cancel <laughs> uh, <laughs> just wants to hate watch all the kind of middling adaptations of <laughs> okay. uh, well, there is a there is an Aragorn TV show coming from Disney because, of course, there is. Um, but that is a conversation for another time, and perhaps on the- they could probably do a Disney Plus series now. Fact, I mean, no, if they, they want to touch it after, they- is, is this something that's been announced? 
Oh, you mean like Dragon Ball Z or or yeah. uh, Aragorn? No, no, nothing. Finished. Aragorn. Sorry, Ara- Ara- what? Aragorn. Aragorn. Yes. So not 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 the Lord of Rings. Um, no, ri- yeah, that's yeah, Rings yeah. of Power. That's on Amazon. And this podcast will be even longer if we get to Lord of the Rings because <laughs> I have so much to say about Lord of the Rings. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> they literally make a documentary. You are the expert on it. Uh, with that in mind, we will segue neatly into the spoiler zone. Spoiler zone. So, Jonathan, and this is always a challenge on one of these kinds of movies, what is Dragon Ball Evolution about for you? I would say that Dragon Ball Evolution is about the power of platitudes to overturn prophecies. It's about how you can attract women by being attracted to them. And it's about bridging the gap between your physical strength and inner strength, nurturing that with the help of strangers you meet in a haphazard fashion, only to become fast friends. Furious friends. Family. (laughs) It is missing a scene at the end where they all have a barbecue and drink Corona, to be fair. Um, But yeah, so so like, is is that like your big takeaway from the movie? If you were doing a kind of, if you were to boil it down to its essence, is that it? Yeah, so those were like the, the three things I could kind of just, if I was trying to sum up what happens in the movie, I don't know if you want to go into them one by one, or maybe you two could have an attempt at like summing up the movie. (laughs) <laughs> well, they they have this thing of kind of uh, you must have faith in who you are. Yeah. Yes. But then, but then we meet the other characters, and there's so there 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 is Goku, who is is trying to do what I guess Goku does in the show in the sense of like grow ever more in his powers and realize that he's capable of. Um, um of of these kind of like heroic acts but then there's like but there's Bulma briefs who wants to be famous and then there's Yamcha who wants to be rich and it doesn't really kind of um you must have faith in who you are it doesn't really um like they're very vain God, it's, 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 sorry, like, like having this, it's this thing. Goku's grandfather, yeah, the, the his father figure is, is telling him, uh, always have faith in who you are. And yeah, I guess this was the first point I made that like a lot in the movie hangs on this. Like, and sometimes movies will do this where there's like a wise saying an older character says, and sometimes yeah. it actually is the kind of thing that. It is a little bit wise, like like fridge magnet level, where yeah. like uh, yeah, you could you know that that's a nice sort of thing. But with this, always have faith in who you are. To me, the problem is it's so vague, and yeah. the way the art it it changes what happens in the climax just seems so. It doesn't feel strong enough to justify like a huge shift in how this character feels about himself. Doesn't keep the thread. So like 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 you you put that in for <laughs> for very kind of surface reasons. Have somebody saying something wise, but like don't but nothing don't, that nobody could ever object yeah, to. Yeah, don't, don't let that kind of influence the rest of the movie. Like don't don't kind of um, you you're just establishing that that character is wise. None of the the, the characters are, are are going to kind of, with the exception maybe of Goku. But if if that was the point in the movie, you would think that you would kind of see it 
in some of the other characters. And thread it up. Well, I mean, like, it, it does have big cars to energy, which is, like, you're you're stuck with your friends, your friends are who they are, and your job is to just, like, enable them and not try to, like, improve them or change them in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> um, like, again, this is very... If we're talking Disney Plus movies, this is very, very Cars 2. I mean, the, the thing with the just-be-yourself stuff is that, like, I think Andrew alluded to the most of these characters are generally horrible. Yeah, like, they're, well, not, they're not good. It's like, be, be better. <laughs> you should um, maybe should, want should to improve yourself. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, the, the thing with, say, Goku is, and again, I suspect a large part of this is because the script was written in 2002. That was the year that, like, Spider-Man comes out, and Spider-Man is hugely successful. And there is inexplicably a huge amount of Sam Raimi Spider-Man in this movie, where, like, you have the guy who's picked on at school. Goku is picked, they call him Giku. Which I like to imagine the writer punching the air when he came up with that one, um, but he gets. <laughs> it is odd that the the um, that it's Chatwin, and and that his his granddad is Randall um, Duck Kim from yeah. um, like he's he's from various other things, but from he was Matrix from Reloaded. Yeah. I thought Randall Duck Kim was very good in this. Yes. I, I I I I I did um, like him. I thought he added like a suitable kind of level of gravitas for what they wanted out of... I thought Chow Yun-Fat was good. I, I disagree. I I, I yeah. thought Chow Yun-Fat's performance in this was so odd. And I, I don't know whether... Like, do you kind of go through the movie chronologically, what happens in it, or can we jump back? We, we veer, we no, jump. We so, could, yeah, we, we go. It's uh, a free-form conversation. <laughs> there is no structure, much like Dragon Ball Evolution. So go with yeah. it, Jonathan. I mean, with the... Yeah, no, I guess... Yeah, and the bullies, there is this kind of thing where, yeah, the way they they make fun of Goku is quite dweebish. One of them says, um, did you fart? I thought I heard something. It's that kind of, it's like, I don't care about this person. Does everyone see how much I don't care about this person? Because who cares about that? Like, it's this very kind of, like, not intimidating form of bullying. So the bullies are kind of dweebs. And conversely, Justin yeah. Chatwin, this alpha Chad of a, of a Canadian, is, like, <laughs> not... Um, it is meant to be the dweeb who's picked on. So it's, it's this kind of netherworld dimension high school that this unitech high school he goes to and uh but like the thing with that is that that means that because the bullies are so vague and so generic and so dweebish when like justin chatwin rocks up with his martial arts skills that he promised his grandfather he would never use and he turns the table on them and he gets them to like beat themselves up and then gets the chief bully to destroy his own car not and then... the fancy car the status symbol in <laughs> yeah. american life presuming this is set in america oh no early <laughs> and... early noughties. yeah by the way it's very uh, it, it's very it's very odd like like the the the, the idea of setting in, in yes in, it... in, in in this movie cuz it it's is. not really america is it that's that's again one of these questions about like when you adapt these anime series and you kind of just assume the cast are white. He's he's kind of Asian, and they are kind of in Asia. Yes, because there's except a he doesn't have Japanese. They expi- like they explicitly go to Japan at one point during yeah. the movie as well. Which Im- oh, I missed yeah. that. Okay, because <laughs> that's that's early on in the movie. It's when I think Piccolo and again the movie. Made, I watched the movie twice for this, right? Because I'm a glutton for punishment, but also because I had questions and I wasn't sure if I missed it <laughs> because I blacked out. But like Piccolo, right? Piccolo is banished for 2,000 years. Is it ever explained how or why he comes back? Like why? I know obviously you have the eclipse, but like has he just been like rocking around in the shadows and is now making his move or was he just recently freed it feels like the kind of it thing was, that somebody should be keeping an eye on. It was Mafu Ba, was it? <laughs> or was it Shane Long? 
that 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 banished him. Shane Shane Long um is the, the dragon, right? West Brom and Ireland striking okay. partner of, of Simon Cox. <laughs> as the as the prophecy uh, foretold. Together the the there was the Long Cox um striking partnership in, in the yeah. But the, the, no, it, it is called Shen Long in the movie. Yes. Um but I think that's like the granting of wishes. Yes. That's is, the dragon that's summoned is, by the dragon balls, right? Is Mafu Bao... Yeah, that's, that's another thing I forgot about the premise, is that the reason it's called Dragon Ball is that on, on Earth or other planets, there would be seven dragon balls that would be scattered across the the planet, and you, if you could find them all and gather them together, a dragon will appear and grant you a wish. That's like, again, just very condensed explanation of what dragon balls are, and how you would think they would be... They're sort of a MacGuffin in this movie. They're kind of going from place to place to get them together. But yeah, I'm just... Again, that's another thing I'm wondering about somebody who didn't have that context going into it. Is that clear enough, like, what Dragon Balls are and why they're important? Yeah, it, it's... You, you, you gather the Dragon Balls together from... And it's going to be exciting because you're going to be going all over the world to all of these very different places where the Dragon Balls are. Like yeah. one end of the factory one... in Mexico, another end of the <laughs> Exactly. And then once you have the seven, uh, dragon's seven balls, the, the rest of the dragon shows up. And, and, and that's... You uh, yeah, you get a wish. It gives you a wish, and then the balls are are scattered. And then you have to find them again in the sequel, which Fox is definitely going to make. The dragon right? says, find my balls... I'll come back and grant you a wish, um, and they, and so, but don't do that. Don't don't bring them together until um, the eclipse, the solar eclipse. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah. And if because uh, um, I guess maybe maybe you only have a certain amount of time. Is it? I don't know. <laughs> it has to be about a uh, about an eclipse. Like again, like that's I, I. The thing is, this stuff is so dense. I do not have. I cheated. I went to Wikipedia and I looked at various plot summaries and like dug a little bit into the lore. And it's like the thing about this is that it's like a lot of... I am not an expert in anime. I'm not pretending to be an expert in anime. But it is like a lot of the anime that I have experienced what little of it I have. Which is that these things are big, sprawling and epic. And so they kind of get to expand. And it's like a video game where you kind of explore the map and new things come up. So you get to mesh together concepts like magic and technology like you can have like futuristic robots and mystical kung fu for example that sort of stuff uh, and they can coexist with one another you can have like science fiction armies you can have demons like piccolo i think was originally like described as a demon but he's actually an alien that's how the plot kind of develops right and you can do all that because you're publishing this comic book over 10 years this manga over 10 years over 42 volumes you've got a lot of space you can play with a lot of ideas but when you try and condense those down to a like a 90 minute movie like you end up with really weird fundamental stuff like i don't know what piccolo's deal is he's an alien isn't he but he's he's like an invader but also i guess we're in the spoilers and we can talk about it the thing with grogu where grogu is kind of superman but also like piccolo's sidekick but who's been hidden inside justin chatwin for 18 years why 18 years out of 2000 years i don't know um, like it's it's it said uh, so Goku in the original series, uh, yeah. So the Saiyan race uh, have this like wear monkey thing going on where they can suddenly turn into the, not suddenly, but there's like yeah, the, it, it's a sort of I guess Jekyll and Hyde thing like co- 
becoming this beast and just the way this sort of lands in, in the climax of the movie I just just skipping to the end I guess anymore. no setup uh, whatsoever I mean I did have no setup no foreshadowing yeah 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 no context of this is a thing that could happen it's like no you will become Uzaru and even Justin Chatwin's like performance which I feel in this movie is very uneven there are some scenes where I think he's doing okay considering the circumstances mm. then there's other scenes where his delivery is very, very underwhelmed and I think this moment about how you are going to turn into a monster and you can't stop it. That should be a horrifying body horror thing. And is is the take they use is what? <laughs> Just this very subdued kind of like I feel like some of the times it must have been the editor choosing a weaker take and and screwing the actor over that way. I I, I or it's. Uh, but yeah, I guess just that moment is supposed to be this thing where, okay, so he becomes the monster and uh, <laughs> kills Cherry on fat. We'll get back to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but then don't... after this moment where the prophecy has already been fulfilled, he's already become this murdering monster. That's when just remembering, always have faith in who you are, just echoing again <laughs> and again is enough to make him go, no, I'm going to be good and he can stop it again. If you haven't seen the source material, just how batshit crazy does that seem as it as it's washing over you? Like what? <laughs> the moment he turned into an ape lost me. I'm not gonna lie. That was a moment where I was just I am out. Whatever happens, happens. <laughs> what if he had done a very good take and then you had had that terrible special effects? <laughs> <laughs> ah, okay, so you're kind of tempering the expectations. Ah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um but yeah, so that that platitude at the start just not strong enough to really hang that moment on which the the whole narrative is hanging on I guess um I had the yes I mean the the second thing I was I brought up was um you can attract women by being attracted to them um could we talk a bit about the romantic subplot with Chi Chi because this was something that like really irritated me <laughs> for like oh, a specific oh, yeah. reason oh yeah there's there's a lot to, to unpack here I mean again this is one of those things where, like, the movie feels like it has far, far too many characters, and many of those characters are redundant and unnecessary, where it feels like if you wanted to do, you, do, you don't have to do the obligatory romantic subplot, but if you're going to, you, you get rid of Chi-Chi. Yeah, what, sorry? Yeah, as, as, as in kind of like in, 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 in tell, telling this sort of story, I feel like it doesn't kind of, like, it needs a romantic subplot. Yeah. But I mean, in that case, then it feels like it should be Bulma because Bulma is the character we actually spend screen time with, where Chi-Chi is there at the start and then she reappears in the middle in a fighting tournament and then like just pops up a little bit and then is gone. Um, whereas like, I feel like if you're going to do that, you do that with a character with whom Goku shares a lot of screen time. And I mean, look, we, sh we should acknowledge Justin Chatwin, Canada's greatest export, uh, had such unreserved, raw, ripping sexual chemistry with co-star Emmy Rossum that they commissioned the entire series of Shameless That's so the right. two of them could be seen having sex together multiple times over its first three seasons. That chemistry was undeniable. Uh, I feel like... The thing is know, the, I, I've done no research on Shameless. This is what I choose to believe is how Shameless came to be. Somebody saw a raw cut of Dragon Ball Evolution and was like, damn, those two. That should have been it, but I guess in the anime, it's it's Bulma and Yamcha for a while, and then they break up, and there's humor around that. Uh, but it, yeah, go, go, Chi Chi was Goku's romantic interest in the anime, and from what I remember of the anime, uh, she's this uh, like very she 
she terrifies him. Like, because when she loses her temper, this, like, superhero warrior is, like, scared of his wife. Uh, so there's this, like, fun back and forth between them. And I think if you were going into this as a fan wanting to see the live-action adaptation, you would want, like, great chemistry and really sparky back and forth uh, when... Goku and Chi-Chi meet each other but like what what seems to happen in this movie is that Goku has a big crush on her and she notices that and then just starts inviting him to her house and showing lots of interest in him and that's not how crushes work in real life like you it's very rare you have a one-sided crush on someone and it leads to a relationship and I feel like this movie is is part of a trend that just really annoys me where it it places this value on heterosexual romance above everything else. And by the end of the movie, the all the markers that the male hero has succeeded, he he always gets the girl. There's like he he, he is rewarded for being such a good and awesome person by like having a human female for him. And it's I, I, I and this movie does that as well without even like yeah. Ha- putting some thought into the journey getting to that point being fun even though i think it just it has like a harmful effect on young men like and just their attitude to like how romantic attraction works like just oh if i'm really into someone and it doesn't work out that like that's that's a, <laughs> just like, i just need to be more yeah like i'm not i'm not trying to overstate the cultural impact of 2009's dragon ball evolution <laughs> on anyone's dating life uh I, what i'm saying is that it's a snowflake of a, the ubiquity of the trip. it's a snowflake of a bigger avalanche of a lot of these kind of like uh just examples of bad storytelling around heterosexual romance which you can make very fun engaging movies around but if you don't really show how the process of attraction works it's just it yeah it's, it's it was just very trope heavy and formulaic how this was done there's no context for why chi chi starts just showing lots of interest in this guy other than he finds me attractive and that's an attractive quality in a man and he's violent <laughs> which isn't like how it works that's yeah. that's the the weird thing about this is i and again well, I think she Anne... she share she shares martial arts with him i think is, is 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 the thing but i think it would it would work more effectively as a romance if there was a bit of push and pull and some tension kind of in their relationship which you don't really get in general there isn't a sense of peril even in the action scenes in this movie that's something that's like uh missing from it but like even though i I mean i i I guess to give the movie some credit early on there are two fight scenes that i kind of thought were fun ideas there's the very opening scene where he's on the clothesline and trying to keep his balance and then he gets back at the bullies by saying okay i promise not to fight any of you but he's dodging out of their way so they're like hitting each other and stuff I actually think those two scenes as concepts, those are fun ideas to work with. And I didn't, I was, I as a martial artist, I find the choreography of them interesting. So you can kind of see, t- for me, there's tiny moments here and there where, like, they maybe could have made something good out of this. Can- and those, those, sorry, uh, those, those are the moments as well where, I f- where like, when, when you told me that this was the director of Final Destination, I was like, oh, yeah, you can, can kind of see that in some of those scenes. Like action, in, reaction, physical object. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, for me, one of the things with Goku is that, and again, this feels like a movie that was noted to death to death by the studio. Uh, death noted, if you will, excuse the anime reference. Yeah. Um, but the idea is that, like, the movie can't seem to decide whether or not, like, Goku is a nerd and a dweeb or, like, the coolest power fantasy that you ever saw. Yeah. So, like, again, like, Spider-Man is a touchstone here, but, like, the thing with Spider-Man is that, like, 
when Spider-Man beats up the bullies in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, it's him showing off in a way that he shouldn't be and he should be ashamed of it. Like when his older adorable relative dies because he made a choice to do something to enjoy himself, he comes back and he learns a life lesson and he learns to be less selfish. Whereas here, Goku doesn't learn anything as these things kind of happen to him. And he's like, there's this push and pull where you're supposed to feel like he's victimized and bullied, but he's also incredibly self-assured. And I don't know whether that's the script or whether that's Chatwin. I suspect it's probably more the script, but Chatwin's performance doesn't help. But there are moments like when he, he shows up and he has that awkward conversation with Chi-Chi where he's like, you know, Chi-Chi's a pretty stupid name. Uh, not, not, not that I'm calling you stupid. And then it's like, uh, you know, it's not a normal name either. Not that you want to be normal. I'm not saying you're normal. Yeah. And it's meant to be this awkward, embarrassing banter thing. But that immediately leads to her asking him to come to his house. And the way that that's framed is like, I'm having a party at my house tonight. And he cuts in and says, I will see you there. As in, it, he's presuming that the invitation is there. <laughs> and it feels like the, the note on that scene is, she should need to communicate to him that she's inviting him. Not that he asserts himself and is like, no, I'll, I'll definitely be there. And the bit like afterwards where like he quotes the line from the bully back to him where the bully's like, oh, gotta go, got an appointment with beauty or whatever it is. I gotta go appreciate beauty. Like at the moment after the bully smashes the car, he says something, he beauty says awaits. it back. What beauty awaits. Yeah. Uh, which again is very much, like Jonathan said, it's the weird like, I already have this status symbol that proves that I am a man. That I kind of like, I have accomplished this. And like throughout the film, like he has a conversation with her at the party and then ditches her to run back to visit his granddad, showing absolutely no interest in her whatsoever. And she's like, oh, by the way, I was going to tell you that I was fighting in a tournament, which feels like a pretty important part of my identity and who I am. But he's like, no, 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 can't, can't listen to you. Gotta go now. And she's like, damn, Groku is so sexy the way that he doesn't listen to anything that I say. Like, it's... Baby Yoda. <laughs> Oh, you're right. Sorry, Goku. Apologies. Damn it. Sorry, Andrew. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, the the main uh, black bully, uh, the actor's name is Texas Battle. <laughs> That's wow. Amazing. Yeah, like Jonathan Victory is a ridiculous name. Texas Battle is fucking <laughs> preposterous, even for an American. And that is apparently also not a stage name on his part. Uh, it's like really, he was born. To... Yeah, Mr. and Mrs. Battle had a son and called him Texas. Yeah. So that was just a one cast member who stood out to me because of his name. Uh. <laughs> um, and we, we should note, by the way, that like Jamie Chung, when she was cast here, uh, her most high profile role was, I believe, in the real world San Diego, the MTV reality TV show. She's since gone on and kind of established herself as a, as a kind of a dramatic actor. She's done, again, a lot of the cast have done reasonably well coming out of this. But yeah, it does feel like there but are... Even before, yeah. Yeah. Like... Um, Emmy Rossum, I particularly like uh, in general. And, and, and here, it just occurred to me on the romance stuff... Like, there's, like, this flirting back and forth with her and Yamcha, which, like, it, it is accurate to the anime that they end up together, but in this movie it doesn't really fit because she's so standoffish all the time and, and he's this total chud and has this kind of very strange energy himself. And I even notice scenes where they're, like, on a busy street together yeah. and her dialogue is very obviously ADR'd, like, to a Garth Marenghi's Dark Place extent of just <laughs> how comically... Like, a different voice in a different time and place is coming out of her mouth. And uh, the scenes just felt really weird to me because, again, they're not really showing any interest in each other, but it's just kind of like man and woman on screen. Like, heterosexual romance is more important than anything else, so it has to, like, lead to that. It's, yeah, just... Uh, it's a shoddy movie, I think, just from 
Yeah. Uh, that's some point. And then, yeah, the other thing I said was the, um, like, yeah, I guess physical strength and inner strength, that's kind of like a theme uh, Grandpa Gohan says early on in the movie and is kind of a general theme throughout the manga. But um, for me, it's like, but it's kind of just like the, the journey of that being the theme is this journey of meeting all these strangers in a haphazard way. And in the space of like four days, they're now this like, really tight group of friends and in a way that just doesn't land the way it does in the anime because it's so rushed and the characters are all so strange and don't mesh together and you don't get time to like for for them to really know each other um but that's the thing i think there are too many characters like again this is the weird thing where i get fans are upset that this isn't accurate to the anime well that's what happens when 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 you take something that's the the that's quite large yeah like i did the 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 worst movie on the 250, or that was on the 250 for me, was Harry Potter and the Deadly Hallows. Oh, it two. is still on the 250. I oh, think. it is? Yes. So we're, we're, we have like tons of kind of characters who are given kind of, you know, seconds <laughs> of, <laughs> of, screen of, time. of screen time. And it's like Maggie Smith. And it's like, <laughs> who is she? <laughs> what is her motivation? Why is she here? How many weeks did Maggie Smith send, yeah. spend filming? Why is everybody seconds? kissing? <laughs> and 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 there's... we were we started talking about Cherry and Fat earlier, and it was just occurring to me that like the father figure is kind of set up in Goku's grandpa, who's then killed and uh, killed off, and we he's told with his dying breath to go find Master Roshi, and in the anime he is this old guy who I think he kind of has a rambunctious attitude, uh, he, he, like yeah, he's a kind of like. Uh, Imagine if Johnny Knoxville was really old and now teaching martial arts. I guess it could be a similar vibe to that. But in this movie, it's uh, Chow Yun-Fat and they show up at his house and um, Goku's like, don't break in. And Bulma says, I'm not breaking in. The door's open. Don't ask me how I know this. That would still count as breaking into someone's house. And uh, it's it's not a place open to the public just because the door is open. But they go in looking for Chow Yun-Fat and he appears as sort of like a lot younger than Roshi would be in the anime. And just also, I've seen other roles where Chow Yun-Fat is very charismatic and like very good at the old wise, like teacher kind of role. But in this, they make him so much of a goofball. It's just, it felt disjointed to me. And particularly this one close up on him where he's laughing about something. Goku says, uh, my grandpa's dead. And then his face yeah. goes sad. There's something very strange about how that shot was set up and it captured a lot of the problems uh, with this movie for me the same way the quote about durango mexico did like it just it's sort of little moment that capsulates there's something not right about this can i ask like again as somebody who's familiar with the anime as somebody who's only dabbled in anime outside of obviously like the the, the ghibli stuff which is its own kettle of fish um when i watch a lot of anime television when i say i watch a lot i watch you know episodes of demon slayer or whatever that sort of stuff works in anime. There's a lot of that sort of stuff where characters will have those reactions because they're cartoons and they're very exaggerated where they'll go from one sharp extreme to the other. And it does feel like... It feels at times like this movie is trying to pitch itself as a kind of a live-action cartoon, um, as something similar to... You know, we talked about like the Flintstones and Flintstones and Viva Rock Vegas and stuff like that, where characters can just like springboard out of like, you know, out of underground caves and kind of just land. Like there's a there's a moment that I really like. It's maybe my favorite moment in the film, and it is frankly inexplicable um, that this is my favorite moment in the film. But it's the moment where is it Yamcha 
where like they jump Chow Yun Fat jumps out of the cave um, he's like, would you like to make a deal on the Dragon Ball energy thing? And Yamcha's like, I could get rich. And they're like, yeah, we need to some a drill to drill into the cave. And it just cuts to this low angle shot of Yamcha holding the drilling device, ready to drill into the cave and delivering the clumsiest line of exposition that I ever heard, which is along the lines of, wow, I could really get rich with this DBE energy detector you have. And that was a moment to me that felt like, that felt like the most anime moment in the film was just that <laughs> quick cut to a guy inexplicably holding a power drill, delivering exposition on a bunch of stuff that happened between scenes. But the other side of that is the stuff you mentioned, which is like Chow Yun-Fat having to, in a single shot, go from ha 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 and a giggling old man to, oh, my mentor, the man I truly loved as a father is dead and I have to process that live on screen. And like, is is that a... Is that a problem with adaptation? Is that something that is harder to do in live action in anime? And is the film suffering from trying to replicate that? Uh, there's probably a way to make it work if, like... You know what they could have done? They could have put some thought into how they were adapting this. <laughs> uh, like, yeah, I think it's possible, but it's just here, it's like, it's so odd, because Chow Yun-Fat, I've seen from other movies, he is a good actor, but his performance in this is so disjointed and weak to me, and I don't know if it's, like, the editor screwing him over, or if the script was that weak. This is what he could do with it but um it it, it has like uh but it, it it doesn't it's not really a sense of who any of these characters are in the same way like I, I was talking about like the the lack of peril in the movie when they go and find uh roshi uh goku um sends an energy blast his way it hits bulma by accident and a few seconds later she gets up with this look of mild annoyance on her face and she, like, to me that's just like off and like moves yeah, and Bulma, the way. Ju- yeah she just has a phd in applied dynamics and a minor in tactical weaponry she's not like a saiyan who has superhuman strength uh so she i i love that really dumb line of right like I, ma- I imagine her being in some redneck university if her minor was tactical weaponry <laughs> yes <laughs> uh but the, that is the point is she yeah. wasn't that hurt, and she these are the things that in the anime are very dangerous. So it just, again, it's just this kind of undermining of any sense of peril while cutting back to these like very repetitive scenes of this green demon looking scary. And, and doing nothing. I feel like, yeah, she, um, she read one of those kind of Twitter threads where it's kind of like, here's how to make your own MBA. Like you don't have to go to an expensive university. You can you can create you you yeah you can be an auto didact and just tell people that you have, you have a minor in tactical weaponry. <laughs> I mean, again, this is is this I think this is Chow Yun Fat's last film in English to date, right? Because there was this wave when he was going to Hollywood. I'm not working with them again. <laughs> well, yeah, after like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, where he kind of wanted to break into the states, so he did things like say Bulletproof Monk, for example. He did Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End and stuff like that. But I think that like Dragon Ball Evolution is the point where it's just like, you know what? Maybe English language cinema just really isn't all it's cracked up to be. Maybe I'm quite happy being like one of the biggest stars uh, in like Chinese cinema. Maybe I'm just comfortable with that, you know? What, what, what's fun about the, I, I just remembered his character as well, having a line where he says, you, you can do power moves based on three elements, air, fire, water. And this is not a thing from the anime as far as I remember, but it's also like, I'm doing a show about five elements. So I'm, again, I'm just trying to not watch too many things where like <laughs> four or five, or for some reason this time it's three. Like w- w- when writers make these decisions about how to split them up and why, I'm just trying not to overthink is that. Is the fifth one hard? I was going to say, can you spoil what the fifth one is? Because I'm fairly sure like the fourth one's Earth. 
uh ether like like nothingness kind of void vacuum okay. that kind of thing like yeah so um that so come see elemental or in the smock alley theater on the 11th and 12th of february uh book your tickets at scene <laughs> and in terms of of other stuff i mean again the anime thing where like it feels like the movie is half just being a generic like stupid teenager movie and like half trying to do like a version of anime on a low budget with a bad script where like Emmy Rossum's performance, like you mentioned being a big fan of Emmy Rossum, it feels like she is trying to deliver a performance in live action that mirrors the dubbing um, on like some of the anime that would have been popular at the turn of the millennium, where it's this very arch, very rigid, very matter of fact, like rat tat tat delivery. Uh, what do, do you have any takes on, on Emmy Rossum's work here? That, like, cartoon adaptations are hard, engaging that tone, and what struck me is that, like, I, I, you see, I, I respect for her as an actor anyway, and I think in this, she's one of those actors who can, like, deliver stupid dialogue. Like, I, like, I'm only kind of getting into acting now with my show, and I'm writing my own stuff, but I imagine that does take a certain kind of skill set and mindset to be able to take a script that you know is bad and the sentence doesn't sound natural but i think emmy rossum has enough charisma where it's like she's she's not one of the weak points uh, of the movie for me like um all right then and then i guess the, yeah, the other stuff is just the weird tonal stuff which part of me is like is that a result of the movie being cut down or was the movie always like that that's a, like it's a question i have about like at the last airbender as well where, like, entire character romances happen in, like, voiceover narration and all that sort of stuff. It's also the low-budget vibe. There's, like, a Wilhelm scream at one point, uh, recognisably, and there's uh, there's bad green screen, but I would maintain that there are films on the greatest uh, IMDb films list that have worse green screen than Ooh. here. Uh, but... Dish, dish, dish. Uh, Casablanca, like, for example, or just, I'd have to go through the list and see okay. other ones, but just the times where I'm thinking of the scene when they're in the desert on the motorcycle... Then they fall into the hole, and it was just just to circle back to that moment where Chariot and Fat jumps up out of the cave. Yeah. Like how that's framed is this trap was set by Yamcha, who's holding them hostage in this pit for money. Eight hours go by, and then <laughs> Chariot and Fat jumps up the several the, this huge height outside the hole and says, "We have no time to waste. You know, like the world's in peril and stuff." And it's just like, why did you sit there for like the sun went down? Like her exposition, he had a campfire exposition. But also, there was what like, also happens in that scene is then Bulma's beeper, the, the detector yeah, the starts DVD. beeping. There's a Dragon Ball under here for eight hours. It doesn't go off at all. It's just I don't understand why in the narrative they're trying to it's say they're rushing to get somewhere the the eclipse is it's... happening there's a prophecy we have to get there but also chow yun fat just decided like okay eight <laughs> hours from now i'll then go up and we have no time to lose it's also a wide open desert it's not like a pass between like in like a canyon <laughs> it um uh, to to put a hole <laughs> like anywhere in that desert and have them fall into it like. and have the dragon ball be right next to it as well like, not even be in it, but, like, within two feet of the edge of it as well. It is quite an accomplishment. <laughs> again, like, part of me... And again, it, it part of me is, like, it's that incongruous kind of, like, anime thing of, like, the house that's in the middle of the lake or whatever. That kind of weird incongruous element there. But it's also... It, it doesn't really work in live action. It doesn't make any sense geographically in terms of space. And a lot of that is, I suspect, because of the use of green screen, where... Like, these uncanny environments are fun to watch when they're actual sets. 
when they're actual locations, like Tim Burton's landscapes and model works and all that sort of stuff are fun. But when you render them in green screen, they, they don't work as well for me. They Because I don't know what it is. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem like it's craft. It doesn't seem hyper real. But is there anything else you want to talk about with regards to Dragon Ball Evolution? Anything we haven't talked about already? Well, so I mean, I guess like they're at the point then where they team up with Yamcha and there's like some more build up to like the final climax and more scenes with Chi Chi who like, again, it's not even that Goku is doing much to win her over. The no. story has just decided she's wet for him now. And it's it's just so odd like that it keeps coming back to that. But uh, it, and then she's not involved in the climax at all either. No. So they have to walk into literally Mordor. It is just Mordor, this like volcanic landscape they're suddenly at now. And they have a Humvee is... that can fly. Yeah, but they go into this place and these creatures show up to start fighting oh, yes. them. They can't seem to be killed, except oh, sorry, as, yeah, as luck would have it, uh, their one weakness is lava. So they just have to push <laughs> them into the lava. So they were in the exact one setting where they could defeat these uh, monsters and, and fight them off. O- otherwise they would have been screwed and the movie would be over. My, my, like one of my favorite one of my favorite in inverted commas thing details about that scene is like the weird sociopathic pleasure that Goku takes in realizing that he solved a way to get across the lava by dismembering these monsters so that each one forms a new different creature with its own sense of pain and suffering that he can kind of throw into the lava. He dismembers them, grows a new one, tosses it over, dismembers it, grows a new one, builds a little like bridge of suffering and is so, so happy with himself for having figured out a way that will not only allow him to get to the Dragon Ball, but will cause apparently immeasurable suffering to this strange creature he gets to keep hacking to pieces. It's a really odd tonal moment. So sometimes Goku in the anime, like, yeah, I I think there are fun ways you can adapt Goku. And one thing, one aspect to Goku's character is he can be quite goofy. Like he's a bit of a, he's great at like athletic stuff, but uh, he can be a bit of an idiot in like an endearing way. So he's a, he, so there are times where he's a sort of Philomena Kunk character or Homer Simpson in the nineties, like where the stupidity is endearing. And there's some of that in the school when he's in the classroom and he's like bluffing and he, he's like delivering exposition about his granddad's alien invasion. Dynamics. Yes. Beware yeah. of dynamics. Um, so he, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, <laughs> <laughs> there's this kind of um yeah so i mean there are i mean they had strong material to work with goku but here it's just kind of like he's just they just decide whatever he's doing in each scene and this one it's yes that sadistically out of uh killing them i i forgot about this scene where um chi chi is fighting a doppelganger who turns out to be <laughs> shape-shifting assassin who i thought it was a nice bit of trick photography there as the face changes back but it's a and note i said trick photography not special effects like trick photography is like this is like an old cheap way yeah. of doing something but at least it was a nice nod to jet lee's the one to to have a doppelganger fight in there but yeah Chi Chi has that kind of fight as her big action set piece uh and but then yeah she's just not involved in any of this uh, volcano stuff they're 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 fighting their way through this lava landscape to uh find piccolo and it's very odd that she's kind of omitted from it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll quickly talk about some of the nonsense that we always talk about. The the in terms of food waste, um, there were some squabs and a birthday cake <laughs> prepared for um oh, for, for Goku. uh for Goku who 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 left and said to go to the party and then um Piccolo arrives and the incense starts to whir about and smoke inappropriately. Uh, and and also the last time Piccolo was there was two thousand years ago. Um, like Jesus Christ, uh, the inspiration for the nineteen eighty seven movie Robocop. 
Perfect. Um, my favorite <laughs> obligatory piece, Robocop reference. My favorite, uh, one of my favorite pieces of PR for this movie that I couldn't tie into the conversation in any other way was when Justin Chatwin was doing press for this. And they were asking him about, like, you know, you worked with Spielberg uh, on, say, uh, you know, uh, War of the Worlds. War of the Worlds, yeah. Yeah, with Tom yeah. Cruise. What was that like? Did you learn any wisdom from Tom Cruise? What was your movie star lesson from Tom Cruise? And Chatwin, ever the pure circuit pro that he is, pivots the question to talk about the movie that he's here to promote today. You know what? He answers. Tom Cruise is very similar to Goku. He's very positive and very energetic. He's yep. very into physical fitness. And sometimes you think it's too good to be true that he's so positive, but he is. It rubs off on people. I've never seen Tom Cruise grumpy. I've never seen him frown. He's like Goku. Go see Dragon Ball Evolution. <laughs> Tom Cruise as Goku. Now, I mean, yeah, Chatwin's not making terrible points there, but it's it is kind of weird. It's, it's almost as if he's pitching another actor for the role he just filmed just um, instead of talking about him in it. But, um... Maybe he's saying I'm a bit like Tom Cruise, really. When you think, when you boil it down, I I really am the last movie star. Just guy that I played. (laughs) Can I talk a bit about this ending then? Because I just I know from editing a movie myself, I could tell what was happening when there are these quick cuts to Piccolo's face and then other stuff, and there's this new ADR of Piccolo coming in. Like ADR is one of those things I really notice now, having sound edited a movie, and I. I just so they had to rush together this this very rushed exposition about him turning into the were monkey. Uh, he kills Roshi, yep. then changes back. Then uh, there's this like um, God, I mean like so the fights in Dragon Ball Z. I guess like the fight at the end of Matrix Revolutions. That's how a live action Dragon Ball Z should look. That like that got the vibe quite well. But with this, there's like they're throwing these power balls of light at each other, but they're kind of grunting weirdly like. Rah! just like very distracting noises during that bit of the fighting and uh goku's having his hero moment to to fight back and um defeats piccolo but then the one thing they use the (laughs) and even just the way i said that's like yeah and the villain dies whatever like just to get to this point about the dragon ball and that whole arc and what are they going to use their one wish for it's to bring master roshi back to life and that moment was just so flat for me because they, he's just this weird asshole you don't have any kind of, like, you, you know, attachment wise father to. figure connect attachment to. Yeah, so it just feels like such a waste of the wish. It's just like, um, oh, great, he's back, I guess, and now they're going to have more wacky adventures in the many sequels. At that point, he was the... Recollecting old- the balls, doing the exact same thing you just watched them do for 90 minutes. That's the really galling thing about the sequel hook. In most sequel hooks, it's like... Well, the next adventure is going to be even bigger. Uh, the sequel look here is the next adventure is going to be exactly the same as the movie that you just watched. It'll be another <laughs> Death Star. <Yeah. laughs> this one will be bigger. And like, what's their idea going to be for a wish next time? And just like, could they establish potential wishes people want to make early on the thing, build up a sense of excitement? You, you know, just think about the story. But no, they just set up, there's going to be sequels. There's one more scene where he starts to fight Chi-Chi, which for fans of the anime, that would be fun to see what it's like when they fight each other. But no, that's when it cuts to credits. Well, that's and, the Rocky uh, ending. And an after credit sequence, by the way. Did everybody oh, see yes. the after credit sequence? I didn't. Both times I turned it, I didn't. So tell me about the after credit sequence. Okay, so so what happens is um, the very long shots on like a, 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 like a woman bringing like water and stuff to a bedroom lingers for a long time. Then She's it picking- turns out to be plans. piccolo she's looking after so he actually survived 
and um, <laughs> so he's, he's gonna really sleepy. Yeah, have you seen um, this meme of uh, Limmy or Daft Limmy, the, the Scottish memester? There's like a very common meme of him like waking up with squinting eyes. He just had that face like, and it cuts to yeah. black. You know, implying he's gonna be back for more. And I guess this human woman thought, I must help this hideous green monster, <laughs> and uh, so that's presumably going to be kind of expanded on more in the the baffling fever dream sequel that will never get made now you because what what happens darren is she comes into the room having gathered kind of some plants that she picked and um i think having made some sort of a um like reviving tea she comes in and his head isn't on the pillow it's underneath (laughs) the uh, the duvet it's underneath (laughs) the blanket and she pulls uh, the the blankie off his like expressionless face, and he's kind of like, "I am become sleep, <laughs> bringer um. of dreams." Um, <laughs> but like, okay, and again, part of me now hearing that I was thinking about this while I was watching it, and hearing that post credits description makes me think this even more. The weird way in which acknowledging that this is bad and this is much worse than the stuff I'm about to mention but also acknowledging that it weirdly feels of a piece with it. This feels in some ways like, you know, every Disney plus streaming series ever where the climax of this is just people shooting like colored energy beams at one another. Um, until I one did of them like calls- him, him uh, bursting through. And I, I feel like they didn't overdo it in ter- in, um, in, in terms of that energy stuff. When he that... breaks through uh, Piccolo's beam, is it? Exactly, yeah, yeah. And I, I've, I've, I feel like, having not really paid attention to the show, but being aware of the show, it felt like the most kind of Dragon Ball Z, moment. Z kind of moment of it. Um, well, Jonathan, would you like to speak to that? Is, is that a, did that feel like a Dragon Ball Z moment to you? Like... I could tell the writer was aware of what Dragon Ball Z was and right. different concepts he could use in it, but I think it's also maybe down to like the visual aspect of it, where the visuals in the anime are beautiful, even and possibly quite simple. Like I'm not, I don't know much about animation from a technical standpoint, but the the way it's done in this movie, it doesn't have the yeah, it it doesn't quite get the same tone to it. And I, I guess there there are a bunch of different ways you could take it if you were adapting it, but it it should not be this. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I was just, I was watching it and it was reminded me, because we're in the spoiler zone for all things, of like the ending of like WandaVision, the ending of Willow, uh, the ending of like all these things, even like the book of Boba Fett, where the end reveal is that the the entire character whose point it was to kill off during this show is not dead! He's gonna be back for the sequel and the spin-off! And it's kind of weird that you're watching like this failed movie from 2009 that does it badly, admittedly does it badly, does it much worse than those things, but it's like that template is already there. It's kind of, it's so nakedly, we're going to get a bunch of actors into a space with some green screen, they're going to shoot some color rays at each other, uh, and then at the end we're going to reveal that the villain who you watched, like, fight and die at the end of this is not really dead at all. And I know that, like, Piccolo is a character that Dragon Ball fans love, and I know he has an arc that extends beyond being a villain. He becomes, like, an ally. I think he trains Goku's son over the course of, like, Dragon Ball Z. He's a character that fans love and adore. Um, And I think, like, Marsters, like, when he bought that ticket to Fast and Furious, he was like, yeah, this is going to be, this is going to be the gravy train for the next 20 years of my career. Much like Spike from Buffy, the vampire slayer. (laughs) 
Uh, yeah, perfect actually, exactly casting. The same arc. Yeah, exactly yeah. the same arc where he go. He's established as this villain and then weirdly becomes this kind of like anti-hero you can root for. Um, so very much in the master's real. He's really mastered that art, that arc. Hasn't he? Mastered. Uh, yeah. Richard warned me about the puns. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. When I reach the end of my notes, I'm on Ted. Huh? Eh, eh. Like generally, when I'm when I'm worried about notes and I'm worried about talking through the movie, I'm focused on that. But when we reach the end, it's just open season. So, is there anything else uh, we haven't talked about that you guys want to talk about? So, Jonathan, anything we haven't discussed already? In in terms of recommendations for other stuff or Dragon Ball Evolution? Well, uh, just in terms of the movie, if, if we're going to do recommendations in a second, but I mean, you mentioned the cinematography. Do you want to talk briefly about that as somebody who's made a film? Uh, Robert McLaughlin is the cinematographer's name, and I would like to know what was going on with the color grading, or maybe it was the limitations of that particular brand of digital camera they use. Like in my movie, A Far Green Country, I taught myself color grading, and it can really just bring that extra bit more when you saturate an image and stuff, so I guess... It's not that movies are ruined for me now, but like a movie like this where I can kind of clearly see something wrong uh, that maybe a general audience wouldn't, there is like... Um, I mean, it's 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 why I enjoy Garth Marenghi's Dark Place so much because they have gags in that that are so specific that, like, as a sound editor, <laughs> I'm just like, oh, that is very accurate and funny. Yeah. But, uh, whereas here, it was more like, no, this is all very, this is all like a rushed. It, this is a garbled fever dream based on like a script that has very rushed first draft energy. I, I believe it was like the fifth draft, possibly after some initial notes from Akira Toriyama, the creator, that were ignored, and then, like, some other notes from the studio, and uh, they just decide to go ahead with this. And, you know, and like, as I said earlier, like, I'm not, like, super raging about this, uh, uh, so, but I am also think the words cultural vandalism are occurring to me, and I don't know if that is too strong a word to use about just taking, like, another culture's very significant and popular... Our series of books and TV shows and just not really understanding what you have and what you could do with it. So, um, yeah, like I'm not, a, I, I, I'm not against like sort of making a movie out of something from another culture, but you have a responsibility then if that's the kind of story you're telling. Uh, so yeah, I don't know when their Hollywood's going to want to touch this again, just after the change of this. I mean, to be fair, we have maybe reached a point where Japan could do it again. Like that's the thing is where like you have Godzilla movies where America's making Godzilla movies, but Japanese movies are now like Shin Godzilla, Shin Ultraman, um, Shin um, Keizun Rider are all able to like break out. Like, they're all able to reach international audiences now in a way that they weren't before. So, like, it's almost like you kind of order could the Japanese film industry, if they wanted to do a live-action version of this, not have to sell the rights to, like, Disney or Fox or whoever and have them engage in, as you describe, cultural vandalism. And, and could you get a more direct adaptation that way, you know? Mm. But yeah, I, I think there is something kind of vaguely disheartening in the idea that for an entire generation of moviegoers... This is Dragon Ball. Whenever you mention Dragon Ball to people, there's a possibility that they think of this and not the actual work that people like cared about and invested time and energy in making um, and was a labor of love for everybody involved. Andrew, is there anything we haven't discussed already? Anything jumping out at you from your notes? Um, there's a Star Trek 6 reference where um, Chi Chi fights herself. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, Must have been your lifelong it. ambition. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, <laughs> luckily enough they do manage to avoid the creepy make out with yourself sequence um, alright then that then missed I opportunity <laughs> <laughs> I said Ernie Hudson as an original character yeah apparently 
According to Justin... Oh, was he? Yes. Sifu Naris is not in... Well, I don't believe so, but I'll defer to Jonathan on that. I thought I read he was original character created for this. Who? The Ernie Hudson character. Sifu Naris. Who is that again? Didn't make much of an impact on me. He's the mentor. He's, he's a black like, guy. He's yeah. got a blonde kind of a... Um, he's Rose's in, in the monastery. Ro- is this in the yeah, monastery? Yeah, yeah, mentor. Yeah. yeah, that guy came out of nowhere. Uh, I um, Possibly an original character. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. Someone else will know the answer to that. But yeah, <laughs> even the monastery scene and that they were chanting Om Namah Shiva, which is praying to the Hindu god Shiva, which I know because... Yeah, I, I could just recognize some Sanskrit and why did they choose that one in the build up to this big climactic fight, which hardly anyone is involved in except like Goku and three other people. And, and... a floating Humvee. <laughs> like, uh, it was. It's a very strange movie altogether, yeah. I like the way you're like, it's in Sanskrit. Don't ask me how I know. It's like, and that's, that, that is te- technically like, like you're not meant to break into a house. Don't ask me. Yeah, I, I, I actually it, do. It, I like was this... it the same occasion where. Well, you where you were you were convicted of criminal trespassing on on a I'm... Hindu monastery. <laughs> um, uh, like the the story at this point, the story is too detailed and layered. To okay, change, um, I'll, I'll right. happily come back on sometime though. Like this this was a blast. Like uh, so, yeah. I, I do <laughs> love me. Jonathan's kind of mad of mystery reputation that he's already building here. I, I do think it teaser. Worth, yeah. Just because you mentioned Ernie Hudson, another Justin Chatwin anecdote that I quite enjoy is him talking about like meeting. Um, meeting Ernie Hudson on the set of this and like passing him in the elevator at the hotel where they're staying together. He's like, yeah, Ghostbusters. Um, and apparently Ernie Hudson shooting him a look like he wanted to murder him uh, and then getting to the set and like saying, look, I think we got off on the wrong foot. Um, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Ghostbusters. It means a lot to me. And, and Hudson being like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then Chatwin wandering off and hearing over his shoulder Hudson go, who who is that? Is he is he like a sound guy? <laughs> <sighs> wow, amazing! <laughs> All right, um, I think that then about wraps it up. So what we normally do at the end of the podcast is we ask our guests to recommend something. It'd be something related to the movie we just discussed, something unrelated. But to give Jonathan a chance to think about it, I'm going to ask Andrew to go first. Um, I, I thought a bit, a little bit about Chinese food because, um, Gohan prepares some, um, he's eating chicken feed. Um, if one is in Dublin and they're going to Smock Alley to see Elementaler. Uh, next, uh, next Friday, next Saturday and Sunday, um, the 12th and thir- 11th and 12th of February. A place I like, uh, for Chinese food and specifically the likes of kind of like chicken feet and that sort of thing that you don't get everywhere is, um, uh, Kaching. It's on, um, Wicklow street. Um, and in terms of, uh, Asian food more generally, I quite like Mamu Fuku. Um, the, the, uh, David Chang kind of, uh, uh, book from his noodle bar. There's a recipe I quite liked. It was Gareyatuk. Um, it's like kind of um, Korean rice uh, dumplings, um, which are very nice. Um, I think I think I made them the the the, the weekend or so that I that I that I asked Petrina to marry me. Mm. It, was, it was so, uh, and they're really tasty. Yeah. Congratulations oh, on the noodles you. and the engagement and the, and the marriage. <laughs> oh, married now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, 
I do I do love the idea that it's like, you know, we have been talking about a lot about like the process of wooing. So if you are wooing, don't use your uh, airbending powers to smash open a bunch of lockers. Instead, <laughs> make some quality Chinese cooking. <laughs> Show that you care. Or Korean, yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, all right, then. And Jonathan, what about yourself? Do you have anything you'd recommend for listeners? Yeah, given that we've been discussing adaptations of Dragon Ball Z, I would highly recommend uh, Dragon Ball Z Abridged. Uh, so there's a YouTube channel called Team Four Star who, it, about the time this movie came out, uh, began dubbing like each episode of the Dragon Ball Z anime. And it has the tone of like Archer or one of those like animated sitcoms because what, what the, 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 so so and I, like I would really recommend anyone listening, uh, Darren and Andrew, a much better like uh, introduction to Dragon Ball Z. I would say go with Dragon Ball Z abridged on YouTube because I actually consider it a superior written version than the original series. <laughs> And the reason for that is it was made by these like fans who like to do the voice acting stuff. And what they had then was time and context and distance to really think about the characters, really drill into what was like rich and layered about them. Why do audiences like them? What's funny about them so we can make gags about it. So it adds a lot of comedy that's like as sharp as anything you'd see in like the popular sitcoms, but uh, while also kind of really landing the emotion of some of the more serious moments from the show. And it goes, it, yeah, so it goes from like the Saiyan saga through to the Frieza saga and the Cell saga, which are the seasons I remember watching when I was growing up. And uh, I believe altogether they're about 11 hours long. Uh, so you could watch them in all, all one go, say if you catch COVID again, or, you know, you just have a lot more <laughs> extra time on your hands. It got me through the one time I've had COVID. I mean, it's... Uh, like it's a lot of fun you could even and they're short so you could even just watch them on a lunch break like day after day but uh it is a great adaptation of dragon ball z that's very fun that captures like uh that actually kind of fleshes out the characters more than the original does and brings in great comedy and still lands well on like a lot of these action scenes in it so um yeah a superior uh adaptation of dragon ball z was on youtube the whole time uh-huh. Well, there, there is a note to commission. And in terms of recommendations for myself, we mentioned it earlier. This was part of a wave of anime adaptations uh, in Hollywood. Most of them are terrible, um, so do not watch most of them. But do watch The Wachowski Speed Racer. Um, that is a movie that I have a huge soft spot for. Andrew kind of knows that I am a big Wachowski fan at heart. Uh, yeah, yeah. I have a huge soft spot for them as filmmakers. I think there aren't enough filmmakers doing what they do, which is leaning full tilt into like madness and insanity and ambition and big ideas. Like what if Channing Tatum was a giant dog person um, or what if we made an anime movie or what if like Cloud Atlas, um, you know, what if, what if we made a movie of Cloud Atlas, but also there was a bunch of uncomfortable racial stuff in there that we don't want to want back. Um, but generally speaking, I, I do think I rewatched it during the pandemic. It is a sugar rush of a movie. It is pure candy. It is everything that you would want a live action adaptation of an anime to be. So I would wholeheartedly recommend that. Uh, because this is based on an anime that is based on a manga, if you are looking for a manga recommendation, and this has the extra benefit of being one step removed from Justin Chatwin, if, like Justin Chatwin, you look at Goku and you think, man, that guy's really like Tom Cruise. I wish Tom Cruise were in a manga adaptation. Uh, I would recommend Live, Die, Repeat, The Edge of Tomorrow, which is what if Groundhog Day, but also Saving Private Ryan. Uh, it is arguably the best video game movie ever made in that it is a movie essentially about save scrumming your way through a video game level. 
Um, it is tremendous fun. It's only grown in, in kind of reputation it's years since. I would wholeheartedly recommend checking that out. All right, so Jonathan, remind us again what is happening next week. What's going on with you? What are your plans? What are you up to? My show Elementaler will be playing as part of Seen and Heard Festival in Smock Alley Theatre on the 11th and 12th of February, 3pm in the afternoon on a weekend. Uh, do please come along and uh, yeah, you can book your tickets through seenandheard.ie. You can rent my movie A Far Green Country on ifihome.ie or if you're outside of Ireland, that would be ifiinternational.ie. And yeah, I guess the other thing is social media. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Victory Content or Victory Content. I'm not sure how it's pronounced. <laughs> Depends on whether you're working or not. When you're working, it's Victory Content. But when you're taking time to yourself, it's Victory Content, you know? Yeah, but uh, I'm sure if you follow me there, you'll have more details on what I'm doing and what I'm up to. And um, yeah, no, but uh, thank you very much for oh. having me this on. I'd, I'd happily do it again. Not at all. Our, our pleasure. And all thank that stuff will so be in much. the show notes as well. We'll have it up at the top. It was, it was a delight, actually. Really, really, really enjoyed that. All right. You can follow us at At The 250. We're on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, wherever good podcasts are found. Um, we'll be back. We're, again, as we've mentioned before, we are going to be releasing 52 episodes this year, but at the start of the year to give me a break so I am not editing these things as they come out live, we are going fortnightly for a little while. So next week we won't be back, but the week after, the sensational Emma Kiley will be joining us to talk about, and this is very exciting, a good movie. We'll be talking about <laughs> Dead Poets Society, uh, which I'm kind of thrilled to be talking about. My captain, my captain. I, I have never watched that movie. Really? No! It does, a, it kind of, yeah, it, I guess it's kind of like the sort of movie that you mightn't have seen. Yeah, which yeah. I'm really looking forward to. So we'll be back in two weeks. Jonathan, if we don't talk to you, good, good luck next week. Uh, I'm sure it'll be amazing. Talk to you soon, all right? Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Thanks so much, Jonathan. Really